Free Talk Live. Welcome to the program here. The phone number, if you want to join the show and bring up anything you want to discuss, it's 603-283-6160. That is an open option for you. 603-283-6160. Otherwise, we always bring stuff to the table that we think you might find interesting. And we tonight includes me, Ian. And Jay Noon. Uh, coming up here, the news about Trump being indicted yet again. He has pled not guilty, and we'll tell you about what these charges are in case you haven't heard. But in my opinion, the much bigger news of the day is what's been going on with BRICS, and that is the other alliance of big countries, uh, economic, economically growing countries that are becoming economic powerhouses around the world, or already are, such as China. So you've got uh, B for Brazil, R for Russia, I for India, C for China, and S for South Africa. And according to the um, some of the things we reported on in recent months, these countries together have a very, very large combined G- GDP. I believe they are currently rivaling, if not surpassing, the United States uh, when you combine them together. And the portion of global GDP that they have has been rising significantly in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, so they are becoming something worth reckoning with. So if you're talking about the GDP of the United States of America, actually it's really the United States Corporation, but mm-hmm. versus those those basic uh, BRICS countries, let's not forget that the U.S. dollar is so hyperinflated, uh, sure. probably compared to these other countries, because the U.S. is like one of the only countries that enjoys this ability to just totally print all the money up out of thin air. Well, no, they all and, have that. Any country that has a central bank, and I'm pretty sure all of the BRICS countries do so they all uh, but are they doing it to the extent of the United States have they done it as much as the United States probably can- I mean there was a huge run-up on inflation which is for listeners that, that may be new to the show inflation is the actual increase of a money supply it's not uh, the increase in prices an increase in prices is a symptom of inflation it is not the cause of inflation It's not inflation itself there was a huge run of inflation during the COVID situation it wasn't just the United States government that blasted out trillions of dollars. It right, was, it was it, all the central banks, right? Right, every central bank on the planet, for the most part, used this as the opportunity to go printing crazy with their currency. And I, I think one way you can look at it, without being like, you know, I'm not a financial advisor, okay, this isn't financial advice, but, but essentially it's a race to the bottom. So right. the question is, who is printing the most? Who is inflating their currency more than the rest? And I think to some extent, when you look at the prices of government monies compared to one another, that gives you some sort of a clue as to who's doing it worse. So, for instance, Argentina uh, is generally considered, along with Venezuela, two of the worst countries on the planet as far as inflation rates are concerned. I think Turkey is up there as well at like over 50 percent. Last I heard I know that uh, Lebanon is also pretty terrible, but I'm not sure exactly how the U.S. is uh, well, playing is, out is, against. Is the U.S. has this you know mighty military to just destroy all these other countries that want to challenge it? So, there's, so it's really has you know the like Tur- you know the Turkish what's it uh, lira is that what it's mm-hmm. called? Like that's you know who trades in that. No, Turkish people, but yeah, I I, I get what you're saying. But but look at the euro, for instance, which came down. I haven't looked at its price recently, but a few months ago, 
Uh, I mean, it had been stronger than the dollar for a very long time, essentially, as I recall, since it had come out. And then all of a sudden, you know, a few months ago, it was at parity. It was equivalent to the dollar. And I'll have to check and see where it's at today. But that that to me means that the European Union was going even crazier with the, oh, yeah, they uh, the created a lot of money, too. Well, and one of the reasons why they did that was because they also were faced with the energy situation that the United States put them in. Uh, in this, Well, of course, they also put themselves into it by joining the war in Ukraine on Ukraine's and, side. Yeah, letting the uh, United States come in and sabotage that pipeline was it Nord Stream 2 and just right. the sanctions against the Russians. And then, oh, Russia, you're not going to be able to get paid in Euro now. That's where they really shot themselves in the foot. Because now everybody is just going to go trade their whatever their currency is that they have for whatever Russia is willing to accept. And since Russia can't settle in euros, all these people in Europe are going to have a very cold winter. They had a cold, expensive winter last last year. There, there's a, a stories about these electric bills going crazy. What had happened in a dairy industry here uh, between the United States and Russia, essentially, well, back in like 2007, 2006, is... There was um, <clears throat> like an embargo against, um, I, I can't remember um, exactly how it worked, but it was something like we, we could no longer export dairy to Russia for some reason. I don't remember mm-hmm. what the political climate was, but a lot of American farmers were really upset that they couldn't sell their dairy to Russia. So milk was at that time was worth about $24 a hundred uh, weight, which was you know pretty good to get paid for it uh, you know, back in 2006, 2007. And then when these sanctions sort of happened against Russia, we couldn't send the people of Russia milk and cheese. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that, and, and that just makes no sense because who eats milk and cheese? You know, everybody, especially children. They yep. really need that. It's a, you know. Well, it's the people that get, get hurt the right. most during sanctions. And, it's and, never the governments. And so what, what Russia ended up doing in response to this was buying essentially tons of cows from Canada so a whole bunch of these cows at, in Canada, these you know Holstein cows, just start their own dairies. They, and, and another thing they did is they af- offered uh, South African farmers land because you mm-hmm. had to where the uh, South African government was taking farms from basically white English type farmers that have mm-hmm. been there for generations and giving it to you know native you know African people. And so uh, I believe it was uh, Putin. I'm sure it was Putin uh, at this time offered these uh, South African farmers, hey, we got farms, we got land. Just come here, do it, do your thing. So they bought tons of cattle, uh, tons of um, Holstein cows, dairy cows, and they basically built their own uh, huge, uh, very thriving dairy industry within a few years. The Russians did. The Russians did. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as all that milk started hitting the European market, um, American dairies went out of business just all over the the place uh, because milk came down to like $7 a hundredweight. It went from being $23 a hundredweight and back then, to break even on like the big corporate dairies, uh, you know, these dairies are doing like two, three, four, five thousand, ten thousand cows, somewhere around you know thirteen. What's the hundred weight mean? What does that mean? Hundred pounds of milk. hundred pounds. That's okay. how they. That's how they measure milk wow. out of the dairy. Wow. Okay. So Russia basically started Damn. doing all their own uh, milk. Russia's got tremendous land, tremendous resources. Yeah, and, it's, it's huge. Uh, and they sounds like they invited a whole bunch of farmers from you know South Africa to come farm with them and be productive and useful. And so they, they built up their culture, they built up their farming industry, they built up their, their independence, and and because now they were able to retail a lot of their dairy product all, all around the world, and not be and not, not buying so much dairy from around the world, because, you know, the United States shot itself in the foot with these sanctions, uh, then a bu- whole bunch of American farms went out of business, uh, Canadian farms, 
uh, because milk got down to like seven dollars a hundred weight. You know, a couple of years after this, after the uh, you know the Russians kind of got their own dairy operation going, and now and they couldn't pay their operation costs at that low low a price. No, they just a lot of them went bankrupt. Uh, wow. Uh, I think right now, like even that big dairy that went out of that uh, exploded uh, a few oh, months yeah, ago. I remember uh, about that somewhere in eastern Texas. Um, they were milking ten, eighteen thousand head, according to the report. That's mm-hmm. a that's a real hefty feed bill after two summers of droughts in the Midwest and in the Southwest. And Wasn't that one suspected to be like insurance fraud? That's my that that's my suspectation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I suspect it to because convenient timing because right? it's just all the inputs are expensive. They're, that kind of hay that they need for those dairies is really expensive six, mm-hmm. seven, eight hundred dollars a ton in that part of the country, and it's just not there because of all the droughts. Uh, so yeah, they've really culled a lot of the American herd, but also what happened due to the result of American sanctions, you know, about 15 years ago, I'm going back now, maybe 20 years ago, uh, it made uh, Russia basically the breadbasket of the world because, uh, Russia, the Russian people were cut off from uh, essentially American food. Uh, and I believe this was dairy, grains, corn, whatever. So Russia just, and also about this time or shortly after, you know, I was, um, uh, you know, learning a lot about like glyphosate and the GMOs. And during this time, I was going to Colorado once a year to work for my stepfather and mm-hmm. the corn harvest operation and paying attention to this stuff. And a lot of these guys were really upset with what the state, you know, the, the state department, essentially the, the United States was doing, you know, screwing up their, their business, making their milk worth nothing, making them go out of business. And a lot of these guys losing, you know, everything they've worked for. Uh, but also uh, that now, Russia uh, produces tremendous amount of the world's grain. Uh, they actually, I believe, past couple of years now have produced more wheat than the United States. Wow! And it wasn't like that, you know, ten yeah, years ago. Yeah, they've really focused on self-sufficiency, which is good for Russia and its people. And yeah. uh, and also, oh, the big thing I wanted to throw in there is uh, Vladimir Putin. There's a lot of him speaking about how he's very much against like the Monsanto and all the GMO stuff. And even uh, a lot of uh, India is very much against all the Monsanto things with the GMO dates. You know, you can't just reap the biggest problem with GMO seeds is they have a Terminator, Terminator gene, yeah. gene, so they won't produce a new crop. Just one crop, then you got to buy more seeds. Right. Yeah. Uh, so economically, these countries are combined together already, BRICS, and they're trying to work out ways to essentially make their economic strength even stronger. And they figured out... According to a post at Russia-Briefing.com, they figured out that one of the ways they can do that is to create their own currency. Now, this is something that's been bandied about for some time. And in fact, it came out just a few weeks ago. There was the Russian embassy in Kenya, I believe it was, that made an announcement that they were going to be moving forward with a gold-backed currency uh, at the, it might not be for the individual. It might just be for like countries trading back and forth or governments sending money back and forth. It's not really clear what the sort of the specs of this currency would be. But then uh, I think it was the South African uh, government has officially tried to walk that statement back, saying, "No, no, 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 we're not going to be talking about that at the upcoming BRICS summit, which is starting in less than three weeks from now. So by the end of this month." BRICS will have had their annual meeting. It's happening in South Africa this year. And then we're going to know a lot more about, at least publicly, what it is they're willing to admit to. So this is uh, another story saying that this is going to happen. I don't know if they mentioned that it's going to be gold-backed here. But it does say that Alexander Babakov, who's the Russian state Duma deputy speaker, said Russia, together with fellow BRICS members and other African countries, 
are discussing the creation of a new global currency that could challenge the U.S. dollar's dominance and become analogous to the euro for non-Western states. Babakov stated that having passed the test of Western sanctions, Moscow is ready to take on a new role in the world order and together with partners undermine the hegemony of the United States, outlining new trends in the international relations system. He pointed out that 49 of the 55 African countries all attended the Russian-African summit that apparently happened last week while stressing that achieving real sovereignty for Russia and other countries would necessitate shifting away from the dominance of the U.S. currency. Now, something else that, you know, maybe if you've been listening to some of the world news in recent weeks or months, you know that uh, the Chinese have also been cozying up with the African nations as well as Russia. Uh, The Chinese government has been sending, I don't know how many billions of dollars over to Africa uh, to invest ultimately in doing things like building factories and essentially creating jobs in these African countries where, of course, labor is very, very cheap. And uh, I'm sure the land is is uh, is also very cheap. So what you've what you've had going on is China and Russia are talking about, you know, working with these African nations to build economic strength together, whereas the United States, on the other hand, has been wielding the dollar as a political weapon. Meaning that if you have the dollar in your reserves, and most central banks do, and that's something that may be changing over the next few years, and the U.S. government wants to punish your country for something, they have leverage over you. And that's a completely different situation than countries actually sending money to these countries to invest in those uh, in those places and possibly build better relationships. Not to mention the actual biological warfare that the United States has, you know, been conducting on Africa for years through like the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. Um, what Dr. Saying, Fauci. What's been going on with that? Oh, so what's been with all the vaccines that they've been forcing on those populations and, and they've had all kinds of, uh, done all, all I kinds don't think of that worked well during COVID did it? I mean, didn't, uh, weren't a lot of the African countries, some of the countries that were least likely to, right. They didn't take the-, the vaccines because for years now they it's been like a testing ground for big pharma. Mm-hmm. Like, Alex Jones was doing reports years ago uh, on how, you know, Merck and Pfizer and the big pharma guys are basically showing up or a bunch of guys with jackets and they're just grabbing, you know, people there in Africa and poor villages and just inoculating them. Wow. Uh, there was all kinds of studies that have been done. It, uh, RFK has got that book, The Real Anthony Fauci. And uh, and then all, uh, there's also uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits. Uh, she's another one. She wrote a book called uh, Plandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or plague of corrupt corruption, and then there's I think she, there was a movie about her called Plandemic. Mm. But plague of corruption, I believe she started uh, publishing in like 2018, and you know it was very much about you know these these viruses that they're creating in these labs, and you know the viruses that were created in Fort Detrick, Maryland, when she worked there under Fauci in the 80s, and then they were pushed all over Africa. And this is why so much of the African population when it came to COVID is like, no, we're not taking any vaccines. Well, it's we're true in the this. United States as well. A lot of uh, of the black population is very suspicious of oh, the yeah. United States government and not at all interested in being a part of this particular experiment. And uh, Dr. Judy talks about how basically a, the AIDS virus was you know, invented by the U.S. government uh, under, mm-hmm. under Fauci. And she talks about how uh, they, mm-hmm. uh, um, they put it in the HIV uh, vaccine. And she's like, oh, that's how Magic Johnson got AIDS, you know, from HIV. Mm-hmm. And she, anyways, 
I, I got uh, HIV from uh, the hepatitis B vaccine. I was oh. purposely putting it into the vaccine and had to do with um, XM, I can't remember what they're called, but proteins that were made from the lungs of mice. And this was how this was carried and transmitted. And then mm. it was all propaganda against like African people that it came, you know, was a, you know, came from a monkey in Africa, and African people were having like sexual relations with monkeys was Ridiculous. sort of yeah, well, all, yeah. All, all the push on it. But the thing is, is the um, I could see the African people being uh, quite friendly with the Russians, seeing mm-hmm. how the Russians are sort of being you know deemed as the enemies of America, uh, you know, sort of on the world stage, and uh, since America has such a poor reputation with the African people and the and American companies and guys like Bill Gates and the Gates Foundation, just all the mayhem and destruction they have done and all the viruses they've, you know, created and just all the horrible, a lot of those countries are really poor, are, are people are in really bad shape because of American p- policies. And I think that with the internet, you know, people are figuring that out in Africa mm-hmm. and they know. I hope so. Uh, and we're going to talk more about BRICS here. Of course, if you want to comment, the number is 603-283-6160. They said Moscow and its partners would need to agree on a new monetary unit and on the rules for its functioning. So this is still in the you know the talk about, talking about its stage. When asked about the new currency, the Russian MP said, quote, This is not the RMB yuan and not the ruble. There are already there are already certain formulations. The name is not important, but it should be an analog of the dollar. And if that's what it ends up being without gold backing, then it's hard to, you know, really imagine this is going to really take the world by storm. Certainly it could be useful to the BRICS countries themselves to get them off of reliance on the dollar, so it could could still be damaging to the dollar, but if the if BRICS does come out with the long rumored gold-backed currency that would be something that would be in great demand by i would say governments all around the the planet as long as they could prove that they actually have the gold to back it and as long as they actually are honoring requests to exchange it for gold that would be of course the key factor that they could change anytime they wanted I personally couldn't trust a so-called government no way enforced backed regulated whatever gold back or any kind of currency yeah, I don't care neither what they're would backing. I. I mean that's why the gold back is the gold back as a product there's something called the gold back for our listeners that don't know it's a actual beautiful currency it is an actual piece of gold it's one one thousandth of an ounce at its base level there are higher denominations and it's something that is so easy to use it fits into your wallet it's very very thin they've come up with a way to uh i think it's called atomic vacuum depositing uh, like atomically depositing particles of gold onto a piece of plastic it's an amazingly beautiful piece of art basically and i'm such a huge fan of the gold back you don't have to trust any backing company you don't that no one's holding the gold except for you it's there in your wallet you pass it to somebody else whenever you want to buy something uh, i just tipped with a gold back earlier today at the new taco truck here in Keene. And it was funny because the girls at the taco truck, they already had a gold back that was like hanging on a clip in the nice. back of the truck. So somebody, I suspect it was Aria, had already hit them up because it's right next to Domino's. And of course, Aria works there. I bought hay from three different farmers here in New Hampshire this year. With gold backs? Uh, yes, with gold That's backs. Awesome. Uh, the last guy, I ran out of gold backs the other day. Uh, and mm. um, <clears throat> so I paid him a little bit of silver. Okay. All but, right. Uh, he's like, oh, we really like this gold. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? I mean, yeah. if you, it's just whenever you see the gold back, whenever somebody new sees the gold back, the reactions are always so much fun to to see how people 
uh, respond to it. And they're almost always positive. It's very, very rare that somebody will say, oh, I'm not really into gold. <laughs> it's pretty rare. One thing I've noticed about farmers uh, at like the farmer's market I went to, I've go, gone to around here, the farmer's market I, I went to in Arizona last winter. I was able to spend a bunch of gold backs there. And even these local mm-hmm. farmers and some guys I've bought some cows from, uh, they like farmers, you don't have to convince them to take gold. Even though the gold backs are trading at like double spot gold or even a little more than double whatever gold spot is. And I, you know, I just did it at five bucks, a, you know, one one thousandths gold back okay. with the guy. Basically, it was, you know, almost worked out to, you know, one gold, one gold back per bale of hay is basically what it worked okay. out to. And uh, that that was like just, oh, you'll pay me in gold. Cool. Yeah. This oh, is yeah. basically double spot prices, you know, and he's like, well, it's a, it's worth it. Look, it's at, worth look how convenient it is. Yep. He's like, this is great. I'm so glad people can see that. You know, because uh, that that objection to the gold back that, oh, it's twice the price of spot. Good luck getting any gold at the spot right. price, number one. Uh, but secondly, it is so low priced compared to other um, fractional gold. Because the more you divide gold, the more the premium gets on on that gold. It gets, it gets crazy down the, the smaller the piece. And as you pointed out... Before the gold back, there was never any useful small denomination of gold. Anything less than a tenth of a uh, of an ounce was too small to even hold in your hand. I mean, you could you you would lose it. So with the gold back, it's super convenient. It's easy. You put it in your wallet. You're not gonna if it falls to the ground, you're not gonna have trouble finding it. It's it's huge. I um, have this. Uh, it's like a gram bar of gold. Yeah, it's but tiny. It's, but well, it's like it's five grams. The guy just broke oh, me off a sliver of it. One of those but, things. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to break it up into the little grams because, just like you said, you might lose them. They're right. just in like a little baggie in my safe. But. Yeah, that's like old tech. Yeah, you know, and it's not worth as much. And there's a huge premium on that stuff on the on just those little pieces. So, uh, but but I'm really glad that when we talk to people, in my experience at least, about the gold uh, gold back, it is maybe one in a hundred that. Has that objection? Oh well, it's twice the price. I don't want to pay that much for gold. It's like you don't get it. You obviously don't understand the value of this thing. There's a lot of value in being able to actually hold and spend and easily circulate gold, and to pay just just twice the price for that value is actually incredibly cheap. The only question I get when I offer gold backs is like, "Is that really gold in there?" I'm like, "Yes, it is." And they're like, "Okay, I trust you." There's more coming up here, uh, and it's you know, gold has a certain look to it. And this has that for sure. There's more coming up. Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes to vote on. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by the treasury. In fact, that's exactly how we got this sponsorship. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first, nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. Talk about bricks, uh, which is what we're into at the moment. You can also 
6160 DNJ here in the studio tonight. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Now, I have heard that there's some big news with Dash. I am not able to verify it in any sort of meaningful way personally because, well, the feds have prohibited me from using cryptocurrency, which is a real bummer when you've got a crypto uh, organization as the sponsor of your show, but that's the reality of it. However, the rest of you can do this, and I, I happen to know uh, from somebody who has told me, I talked with uh, Joel Valenzuela on multiple occasions, uh, who's one of the guys that kind of works for Dash. He has uh, has been a huge fan of ThorChain, and uh, ThorChain, for listeners that don't know, we've discussed it in the past, ThorChain is the world's first truly decentralized exchange. And we've for years talked about the dangers of centralized exchanges, the dangers of not your keys, not your coins, where in the world of cryptocurrency, in the world of Bitcoin, if you give somebody else, in this case a centralized exchange like Coinbase or Kraken or uh, Binance, whatever their name is, you give them your coins... They are no longer your coins. You may be able to get them back, but if the exchange gets hacked or if the exchange gets taken down by uh, government actors or you know they lose their bank accounts or whatever, you are going to have a tough time. You may lose all or some of your coins because of leaving them on an exchange. And new users to cryptocurrency do not understand this. They think, oh, well, that's where I bought the coins. I might as well just leave them there. No, it's highly risky to give somebody else control over your cryptocurrency. So a decentralized exchange is a complete change to that situation. A decentralized exchange, you have the keys to your coins. You can swap them at any time for the other coins that are on the exchange that other people have offered up to make them available uh, for swapping. And ThorChain was the first to make this possible. What's the news about Dash, though, in relation to these uh, to a decentralized exchange? ThorChain has uh, been forked now this year for the first time. So for listeners that aren't familiar, forking in software terms is where you take open source code, meaning anybody who's a programmer can go in there and dig through the code and learn about it, copy it, modify it, release their own version. That's what happened with ThorChain. Somebody went into the ThorChain code. They said, all right, we're going to do this, too. And they took the ThorChain code, they made some changes to it, did their own thing a little bit here and there, they, they made some tweaks, and they released Maya Protocol. Now notice, it's called a protocol. And so is Thor, by the way, There's, they're a protocol. So the difference between a platform and a protocol, as we've ex- explained in the past, is a platform is software that utilizes protocols to provide you with some sort of service. Uh, so websites, for instance, use HTTPS, which the P stands for protocol. And uh, in the case of uh, ThorChain and Maya Protocol, there are websites that you can use that will help you interface with these protocols. But ultimately, the protocol itself is open source code, and it is immutable. It cannot be stopped as long as there are people willing to continue supporting these chains out there. And each of these uh, systems have their own blockchain. So there's the ThorChain, and then there's the Maya Protocol. It's got two different chains uh, behind it as i understand it i think that's the case anyway the uh, the point here is maya has launched as of several months ago as i understand it and the first 
coin they've added besides their launch coin. So they launched with Bitcoin and Ethereum and I think a couple of Ethereum tokens like USDT. And then, they, of course, they have their own uh, what they call the cacao, C-A-C-A-O, which is Spanish for chocolate. It's their own currency that, that, that sort of runs the system and is the incentive uh, to operate the system. And so the first coin they've added to the Maya protocol is Dash. So mm. that's the big news. That happened just within the last week. And so what Dash is doing right now is, you know, they're letting people know about this. I mean, this is awesome that you don't need to be on a centralized exchange now to turn Bitcoin or Ethereum uh, into Dash. The thing that they are looking for at this point in the game is to get to uh, to get more people to put up their Dash into what they call the liquidity pools. So the way these de- decentralized exchanges work, well, there's not there's not just coins on there when they start the exchange necessarily. They have to attract what they call liquidity. They have to attract people with uh, with an interest rate, basically. Now, I don't know what that is for, for Dash. As I said, I haven't been on uh, Maya Protocol, so hopefully somebody can fill me in with that, uh, with that inf- information. It may be too early to even know what it is because it's just started trading within the last week. But if you have some Dash that you've been sitting on and you want to go ahead and potentially get a return on that Dash, this is a way to do it. Uh, now it's up to you to to do the research. Take your time. Go into you know learning about Maya Protocol. It is a fork of Thorchain. Thorchain's been operating pretty successfully for the last few years. There was some bumps in the road. It's not to say this is a risk free venture. I mean, there is the possibility that in the code that there could be some bugs, right? Like all the DeFi or decentralized finance uh, protocols out there, they're t- they're made by humans, right? And humans are fallible, and so mistakes can be made. And and I think uh, Curve Finance is another DeFi platform that uh, just recently got, I think, robbed for $26 million worth of crypto. And they had been operating fine for a long time. So just remember, as always, the rules with crypto are you never want to put up what you can't afford to lose, right? You never want to invest something you can't afford to lose. ThorChain's been pretty rock solid. Maya, so far, has seemed pretty rock solid. Um, the code is is accessible if you have a programmer friend or you are a programmer. Obviously, you can go in, you can audit the code yourself uh, in this uh, in this case. So I'm just saying there's an opportunity there. And right now, I think they have over a hundred thousand dollars worth of Dash that has already been put up by different users. Because again, you can't trade unless other users have put their their Dash up for trading. So, <laughs> so when you put your Dash yeah. up on this uh, Thor chain or Thor exchange. This is Maya Protocol. Or Maya Thor, Protocol. Thor was going to do do Dash, but then Maya just beat them to it, and they never got to it. So you hold the keys to that Dash that you put up on like that exchange? You do, and you can that? withdraw it, as I understand it, at any time that you huh. want to. Um, but meanwhile, it in theory... That's always been my fear. With I've never put any money up on like any exchanges, any crypto at all, because... Well, they won't pay you. too easy to lose it. Well, that's the other thing. If you if you put money up, or if you put uh, Dash then on... Then i got to like look at this thing every day, see what it's doing. Well, <laughs> yeah, the, it's that, the other thing is you won't, get pay, you won't get paid. Yeah, okay. Right? If you, I also if, won't lose it. <laughs> well, it, well, if you put it... I'm <clears> saying if you put it on... Uh, Sorry, I, maybe I mis, mis, misspoke. If you put your coins on Coinbase, Coinbase isn't going to give you right. 2% no, for no. that, even though you know they could be trading or whatever. In fact, you're going to pay Coinbase when somebody trades with those coins, whereas on a decentralized exchange, 
like Thorchain or Maya Protocol, if you put your coins into a liquidity pool, then you can get a portion of the trading right. fees from every other user that's trading. Now, again, there are risks involved. You need to learn about something called impermanent loss uh, because of the way these automatic automatic market maker pools work. There's a certain formula that's that's going on behind the scenes. These things have been around for years now, and you do have to do some research into learning about how these things work. The risks come in when what you're doing is you're putting, and I don't want to go too far into this, but just I'll try to keep it simple. Let me know if I'm confusing you here, but the mar- automatic market makers are always in a balance. So whatever, whenever you get into the pool, you're not just putting in Dash. You also have to put in the other thing that it's balanced with, in this case, cacao. Uh, which is the thing that makes so the system go. So you got to take your Dash and convert it into cacao. Or, or you can spend your whatever. Bitcoin and, and convert yeah, it. Okay. Or there's also, as I understand it, you can uh, do a, like a uh, an auto-convert thing where you just throw Dash in and it automatically converts half yep. of it to cacao. But the thing is, if Dash goes up in price faster than the cacao goes up in price, you'll actually end up with more cacao if you withdraw okay. uh, than Dash. And the reverse is true as well. If the cacao goes up in price faster than the dash goes up in price then you'll end up with more dash if you were to withdraw if you don't withdraw then you know they might balance back out so there's something called impermanent loss meaning that you can go in and look at your pool that you have and see oh crap it's gone down in value maybe it's because the price of both of them have fallen maybe it's because the price of one of them fell uh, significantly or whatever um, and then if you if you withdraw the impermanent lo- loss becomes permanent Right. If you if you freak out and you say, oh, my God, this is I got to get out. And then you, you know, you withdraw, then you get whatever you get. And that's that's the end of the day. However, you could just hold on for the ride and leave it in there for years. And then you never know what's going to happen in the future. So there's the risks of the, you know, the prices changing on these these assets that you put into the pool. But the on the positive side of things, you may make a decent return if things work well. So, again. There's no free ride in uh, in any of this uh, circumstance. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, user beware. Yep. Uh, I know countless amount of people who have lost significant amount of cryptocurrencies, putting them on exchanges. Uh, I had a guy, a good friend of mine, just begging me like about a year and a half ago, oh, you got to do this thing, and it's a pancake swap, and you need mm-hmm. and this and that, and pays you 24% APY something, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I saw him like back in uh, May, and I'm like, "Hey, how's that how'd pancake that swap? All that?" He's like, "Oh, yeah, dude, that lost. <laughs> I, got, I, I don't have any crypto left. I got Oof. no more Bitcoin." I'm like, "Oh, uh, I'm really rough. glad I didn't do that." <laughs> yeah, that's why I say don't put in what you can't afford to lose. But if if you got a bunch of dash sitting around and you don't mind putting a little bit of risk, uh, you know, involved, then do some research. Check it out. It's called Maya Protocol. I think they're very, very exciting, um, you know, because there is it's at least an opportunity to do something with an asset that's just sitting around. Uh, but again, risk is involved. Check out uh, Dash.org to learn more about Dash. It's one of the oldest cryptocurrencies out there. It's widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. And here's the other thing. You don't have to do an uh, a uh, what they call liquidity providing to get into the exchange. You can still just swap your Dash or swap your Bitcoin and you don't have to put up anything you know, into a, a pool for that. So the, the the liquidity pools are just for people that want to take that risk and they want to potentially, you know, bring in some uh, some return on their Dash. But for everybody else, you can just use the thing and then never have to go on a centralized exchange again, especially as these guys add more and more currencies over time. And the other thing is it's going to be possible, if it's not already possible, automatically, to be able to trade from 
decentralized exchange to other decentralized exchanges. So the Thor chain and the Maya protocol are linked together because one of the coins that they added to Maya protocol in the beginning was the Thor um, rune, their their coin. So you can they can swap through the decentralized exchanges, which is a pretty cool thing. So if there's something on Thor chain that you want and you've got Dash, even though Dash isn't on the Thor chain protocol, you can still make it happen, which is pretty awesome. So we're starting to see the beginning of this decentralized exchange phenomenon, and it is still really in the early days of these things at this point. I kind of feel like this is what they told me about Bitcoin 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when I just heard about this, you know, exchange. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, I guess you could turn crypto into dollars on that exchange? Or not you, yet. Not yet? No, okay. Unfortunately, there's no... So then uh, it'll be decentralized until that happens, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the whole... The big challenge with cryptocurrency, of course, is these uh, on-ramps and off-ramps, as right. they're called. Once you get into crypto, whether you're earning Bitcoin or Dash or whatever by someone paying you because you're doing work, which you've done many times, uh, it, Jay, uh, or whether you're mining it with a mining operation that you've set up inside your, your basement or something, however it is you're getting crypto, once you're into crypto, it's relatively uh, frictionless to move from crypto to crypto that's pretty yeah, easy crypto to, to crypto it, i've noticed it's gotten increasingly difficult trying to f- uh, turn crypto into cash without paying some kind yes. of uh, uh fee well you're always going to have to pay a fee to convert from uh, one to another definitely most several months ago it was just there's a way more people just willing to just buy it and okay well you know. if they're willing to pay you spot then yeah there's no fee in that particular case but uh, most people are going to you know if they're unless they're desperate to sell their crypto they might charge you something and and uh, so I've just like a couple of, recently I've been asking people to pay me in goldbacks instead of crypto or mm-hmm. or silver because it's it's pretty easy to turn silver into dollars. Goldbacks uh, have locally. definitely had a huge boost in popularity because they are just that easy to use. Uh, but anyway, thanks to the Dash DAO, which is their decentralized autonomous organization, for sending us thirty two uh, Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash dot org to learn about Dash. That's Dash. Org. And for those of you that are looking to exchange, maybe buy some Dash with your Bitcoin, the Maya protocol, um, as I understand it, makes that pretty easy. So check that out. All right. So uh, we continue here. We are talking about money. Uh, we're talking about the BRICS and the potential that they may come out with something that they say could shift a lot of power away from the U.S. dollar. Let's, you know, it's pretty clear that the BRICS organization that's uh, that is brazil russia india china south africa they may be adding some more letters pretty soon from what we understand we'll talk about that coming up here but it's pretty clear that this is an organization that is very interested in dealing damage to the dominance of the u.s dollar and the theory here from at least according to russia-briefing.com in a statement from the russian state deputy speaker the duma deputy speaker alexander babakov He's saying Russia is going to be taking a new role in the world order, and uh, 49 out of 55 African countries attended the Russia-Africa summit that happened in the last week, apparently, and they are looking to team up to shift away from the dominance of the dollar. When asked about the new currency, he said the name is not important, but it should be an analog of the dollar. He said further, after all, the BRICS, in terms of its potential today, is greater than the G7. That is, the potential of the market where this currency can function is very wide. There are no reasons to be tied to the dollar, he said. 
The BRICS nations have been seeking to shift further away from the U.S. dollar and mutual trade. The de-dollarization trend has been gaining momentum in the wake of sanctions that effectively cut Russia off from Western-dominated financial systems. Numerous developing nations, including fellow BRICS members, have also started to move toward alternative currencies in trade. Moscow floated the idea of introducing a BRICS currency just last year. Putin had said last June that member states were working on developing a new reserve currency based on a basket of national currencies used by the five-nation bloc. In 2022, China's trade with BRICS reached about $468 billion. Russia's uh, was $164 billion, while India achieved $142 billion. And their summit is coming up August 22 through 24, so just about three weeks from today, we're going to start learning a lot more about what the plans of BRICS are. Well, good for Africa and the people of Africa. I'd, so this uh, list I looked at here, it's, uh, it was posted in the Dollar Vigilante, you know, Jeff Berwick's uh, Telegram page is, you know, United Arab, you know, these are uh, countries that have formally applied to join the alliance. There's only 16 in here, but basically every single country in here, uh, Best I can tell, the people of these countries have been pretty much um, done a lot of harm by by the U.S. The government. US. I mean, maybe the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia hasn't done not much harm, but there was definitely that's because the U.S. has to treat them with kid gloves, right? Because they have so much influence the with the oil, and uh, also you know Saudi Arabia spent a lot of years buying a lot of politicians. You mm-hmm. know, they, it was pretty clear that they owned the, the Bush fi- crime family, probably sure. the same way that the you know, uh, Ukrainians own the Biden crime family. Mm-hmm. And, but even for a long time in this country, there was a lot of uh, negative sentiment and ra- uh, racism towards uh, Middle Eastern people because of all of the uh, propaganda and nonsense of 9 11 uh, and just all of the, you know, the, the media and the government, you know, sort of pushing, the, you know, this agenda that we should, you know, these, these, these brown people are a problem on the other side of the world and we got to go to war with them and all that. I, I, when I was, you know, in my 20s, it was always somebody, you know, that I was working with had a problem with Middle Easterners. And, you know, that was due to uh, the government propaganda. So uh, I can understand where, like, people from Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates would not be happy with America. And For let sure. me tell you something about those uh, those uh, fellows out there, you know, wearing their turbans in the desert. They're, they're more redneck than the Americans. If you want to watch... Um, <laughs> Uh, Saudi Arabian or or you uh, United Arab Emirates uh, UEA uh, sand drags. Uh, you should see these cars that they have. They have like Toyota Four Runners. Mm-hmm. They got big like seven hundred cubic inch V eight engines in them. They got you know two three turbochargers on. They're making like four thousand horsepower and and they do these hill climbs mm. out in the desert in these sand drags and uh they have uh, like chevy pickup trucks all jacked up and ready to go you know really just yeah it's it it's pretty cool um so we uh and actually the guy who informed me of that was will coley okay so will coley and i Our were talking uh imam co-host here yeah so will coley's like well i'm a muslim and i'm a redneck i grew yeah, up in is. eastern tennessee and he goes, you want to see how the, the wealthy uh, uh, Muslim, uh, the wealthy Muslim rednecks, what they do? Check this out, Jay. You'll like this. And he pulls out his phone and he shows me these sand drags in, du- in Dubai. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. It's, that's like, you know, those guys, are, they're into cool stuff. And now you're saying the UAE and Saudi Arabia are on the list of nations yes. that are applying for BRICS membership. It's been announced, uh, Jay, already 
even though the summit hasn't even happened yet, there's an announcement that some nations will be admitted into BRICS. So what they haven't said is which ones are going to be admitted, but this is apparently going to happen. So how many they're going to be, we don't know. Well, it'll be whichever. So so obviously it sounds like you have to apply. This says right. countries that have formally applied to the joining alliance. So this will be countries that have value to those mm-hmm. other countries in the BRICS that have value in a partnership. Right. This is just like, you know, you should be raising your children with this intent to have value when they grow up. So people will want to join and have alliances with them. And and you yourself, if you're someone who's valuable, you're going to see you have a, a lot of friends. So it's the same thing with nations also. And, you know, you got nations like, uh, so Bangladesh, uh, Venezuela, Argentina. Uh, I could tell you Venezuela and Argentina have tremendous amount of cropland, uh, major uh, Underutilized, resources. but oh, yeah. uh, I mean, they, they basically destroyed their economies through hyperinflation. So those countries are in so, dire need of assistance. And here's the thing. So you got Bahrain, Mexico, Nigeria, Algeria. Mexico would be huge. Yep. If, if Mexico were to join BRICS, and I, I'd be surprised if they told Mexico no, right? Because that gets them right on, on the U.S.'s doorstep. And if they can convince Mexico to start trading with China in the Chinese yuan or whatever it is that's going to be coming out from BRICS, that's going to be a huge change. And a really smart move for uh, these countries to all join up. And you also have Egypt and Iran. So what I see here is you have a bunch of nations who have just the people in general. What are the people in general like in these nations? So in Venezuela... They've already seen what happens when you have fiat dollars and it, the, all these people that are alive today live through this horrible collapse, uh, hyperinflation. So they're probably ready for something gold back. I could see the people of Venezuela and Argentina, who's and they've been in, in the recent decades, they have the same thing where their currency goes up and down due to manip- manipulations of their own governments. And they're also the Venezuelan people, as you know, for years on Free Talk Live, we've talked about Venezuela, and they point the finger at the United States for their problems. Well, they do, and that's not fair. I mean, that's typical for these socialist countries. Venezuela's sure. problems is communism and, and socialism. That's the bulk of it. But it, they also do that in uh, in North Korea yeah. as well. North yeah. Korea loves to blame the sure. United States for all the problems that North Korea's government has created. So that's but that's those, pretty common. The people of Venezuela believe that, you know, the, the U.S. is is a bad country, has caused them strife, is, you know, the reason that they had to go to the zoo and, you know, slaughter the animals and eat them. You know, we reported on that. The U.S. has not helped. I mean, let, let's be clear. It, it It's not as though the U.S.'s hands are completely clean, so it would be nice if uh, the U.S. would stop meddling in these nations and give them absolutely no reason to complain about them. Uh, but it, but you know, you're right. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of anti-U.S. propaganda in these places, and that that has done some damage. And and so a, a lot of these people in this country, uh, you know, have been in these countries have been damaged. And also, they're the kind of people who have gr- grew up in rough times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, true. It's been very rough. So the, a lot of the people who are surviving and and thriving now in Venezuela, they're strong, or they're just total government parasites. It's going to be one or the other. But you know, a lot of people got the crap kicked out of them just you know in 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 general and in in most of these countries so the thing is you got strong people willing to work probably willing to work hard probably Mm -hmm. have a lot of skills probably learning wanting to learn skills 
and that are super productive to where here in America, you, you know, the consumption is going to really go down. You know, a lot of uh, the, you know, today's 25 year olds, they don't want to own a house. A lot of 20 year olds don't want to own a car. A lot of teenagers aren't even own a house right now. I mean, that's true too. I was just listening to uh, professor Peter St. Ange. I like to, to watch. He's got like a little three minute video. He puts out seven days a week, by the way, but just kind of like with economic information. And one of them recently was explaining why us homeowners are apparently feeling trapped in their home. We talk a lot about migration, right? Like pick yep. up your life and move to a place that's better for you. A lot of people are feeling like they can't because they're under a mortgage where they currently live, which is at like 3%. And if they're going to get a new mortgage on a new house, wherever it is they move to, it's right, going to be right, like yep. 7%. <laughs> and so they're just staying put. Now, of course, you could sell your house and just go pay rent. So it's like if you really want to move, you could probably do it. But anyway, there's more coming up. We'll talk a little bit more about bricks and their expansion plans on the way. Hey, you are going to love the movie Victimless Crime Spree. It's hilarious, heartwarming, and carries a ton of inspiring freedom messages. Feeling down about the lack of liberty in your life? You need to put on this film with some friends and have a good laugh. It's a true story about me and my friends in New Hampshire living free, singing, dancing, and getting arrested. Of course, it's all on video, and the bad guys, the cops, judges, bailiffs, and sheriffs, they all play their part like it's out of a movie or something. You would think we scripted the whole thing, but it's real life. Go ahead and have a watch, and if it's been a while, have another look. I guarantee you'll notice things now that you didn't notice before. And the best part is that you're going to walk away feeling a renewed sense of your own power. You are the master of your destiny, and you will be free in your lifetime. Victimless Crime Spree. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. You can join us here. The number is 603-283-6160. We've got more to say about the upcoming Rick's Summit that's going to be happening in a few weeks from now. They may be admitting some new nations into Bricks, which is already representing over 42% of the world's population as it stands with just five countries as uh, members there. We can talk more about that coming up here. It's Ian and Jay joining you. The number is 603-283-6160. We'll continue that discussion on the way. We'll also go to your phone calls and thoughts. And coming up, Jay wants to weigh in on the UFO situation as well. But first, we have Skeeter on the line in California. Go ahead, Skeeter. You're on Free Talk Live. Yeah, a couple weeks ago... um yeah, you interrupted my argument that uh, your your hypocritical uh, secession movement relied on uh, free riding on the national U.S. national fence, right? With a counterexample using uh, Costa Rica as like a paradigm of how nations don't need national defense. But uh, you failed to mention that Costa Rica is explicitly protected by by the U.S. under the Rio Treaty of 1947. Okay, well, minor point, but uh, New Hampshire is loaded with guns. We have no need for the United <laughs> States to protect us. What what good is guns going to do against a, a real government? You can't you can't secede in a sea of uh, government sharks. The reason why Japan never invaded the United States 
uh, at least it's an apocryphal quote, is that uh, the Admiral Yamamoto is supposedly said something to the effect of, there's a rifle behind every blade of grass. So it, it's a reality. It would be very hard <laughs> to sure was- to overcome the rugged mountain terrain of New England, Quebec, <laughs> New York, Pennsylvania. Uh, it'd probably I'm pretty be easy. sure it had to do with destroyers in the sea and uh, bombers, <laughs> like firebombing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could just carpet bomb an entire, you know, landmass, sure. Yeah, but, but then there's nothing so, to take so over. How, right. How many jet fighters does New Hampshire own? Uh, well, it doesn't matter. We're not going to uh, be invading other countries. There is a New Hampshire countries. Air National Guard that if New Hampshire became, uh, you know, sovereign with respect of the United States Corporation, then yes, there would actually be some jet fighters. <laughs> is that what you're saying, Skeeter? Yeah, you think that the United States government is going to carpet bomb New Hampshire? No, I mean, any government. You can't, like, uh, take, for example, you want a real libertarian example? Try the Republic of Minerva. See what happened to them when they tried to liberate, like, just an island. And you, they got taken over by a small little nation by uh, called Tonga. Okay, so Tonga didn't carpet bomb them, though, did they? No, they didn't have to. They were so scared, they ran them off. Okay, well, you've never been to New Hampshire, have you? What does that deal? I'm I'm not a government, am I? Do I have a tank? You don't understand the point. The people of New Hampshire are, they're called granite staters for a reason. They're pretty hardy, uh, self-reliant, rugged individualists, and they are very well-armed. Probably one of the most well-armed states uh, in the entire world. And they're all hunters. Yeah, and like, they are not well, going to so just what, what can you they're not going like to let the king of Tonga roll smartphone. up in a gunboat and take over the country, okay? It's just not going to happen. And the fact is yeah, but they have jet fighters. <laughs> so what? Tonga doesn't have jet fighters number 1, and it doesn't matter which countries have jet fighters. We can get surface to air missiles. That's not an impossible thing for uh, for people to do. You <laughs> you laugh about this. Do you think to spend that much? Huh? Only governments are fool enough to spend like that much. Not if there's actual, uh, not if there's an actual <laughs> threat, dude. If people actually feel like they are under threat from some, you know, aggressive nation state for whatever reason. Which, by the way, the thing you're talking about doesn't exist. Okay, the things that you're referring to are not happening today. There's a ton of little countries all around the planet that are not being invaded by China. That they're they're not being invaded yeah, by all, Russia. They all have treaties with bigger nations. They're all, they're all with under in bed with other governments. Are you going to do that? You, I have no idea what uh, what the people of New them? Hampshire. I have no idea what the people of New Hampshire are going to do as an independent nation. But New Hampshire was an independent nation before, and New Hampshire will be an independent nation again. Just because you're afraid, just because there's a bunch of people who live in fear out there, like you, Skeeter, doesn't mean that that's actually what's <laughs> going to happen here. And you can try no, yeah, to. I'm afraid that's called being rational no it's not it's being completely irrational it's completely no, irrational it's completely irrational it's happened before be and it'll happen gonna, again gonna, it happened over in the united kingdom civil war huh you're gonna fight a civil war okay once again the fear-mongering about the united states invading its That's own former people time. the last time the last there time, was a it? there was someone who fired allegedly on a fort now you could argue that that was actually uh, that that was actually fake or whatever, that it was a, uh, well, what I'm looking for. Last time he's talking about the civil war. Yeah, the United States. The civil yeah. War. So basically that was a war that was started, uh, uh, by the international banking community at the time. No, I'm talking about the civil war. Uh, it was started yeah, by the international bankers. Will you let the guy answer your, your, uh, your point Skeeter? 
And and if New Hampshire did succeed, I'm sure that the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the Morgans, the people who own the Federal Reserve, you know, all the banks are types, the psychopaths who want and desire power, the, that love government to use as a platform of power, power would want to do something in, in New Hampshire, would want to, you know, try to create some kind of ruckus. They would probably do some mm-hmm. false flags. False flag, maybe. that was what I was thinking. You know, but New Hampshire is going to be sort of a, like one of the things <clears throat> is, I just New Hampshire is going to have to sit comfortable, I'm thinking, and just let everything else melt around it. Because, you know, just mm-hmm. to the south of us, you got Massachusetts and you got Connecticut, Rhode Island, and New York where you really can't have guns. You have massive amounts of people who are essentially useless, just living on, you know, the welfare system for generations now, living in all these cities. And who uh, can't produce anything, who aren't willing to produce anything, don't want to work, don't have a desire. Well, there's no and doubt it's going down, Jay, but I think it'd collapse. be better if we can get out before it before it collapses. It would be nice to. Um, but, but, you know, Skeeter is a realistic, um, even though he's a ridiculous level of it, but he is a real, uh, you know, bringing up a real objection here. It certainly is a common objection, the fear, and thank you for the call, Skeeter, uh, the, the fear that there's going to be some attack either by China or by, you know, some other big bad uh, international enemy or more likely, they, they think in a lot of cases, by the United States. And it just, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all uh, because the people in New Hampshire are well armed, number one. Number two, the United States isn't going to be able to get away with what they got away with in the Civil War. This is not the 1800s. News travels at the speed of lightning now instead of, you know, slowly and by horseback. People are going to know if the United States invades its own former uh, state, which will be very unpopular. According to the polls that have been done here and in other states, uh, it was something like 6% on average, of other state populations were willing to support military uh, military force against a seceding state, against a state that secedes peacefully, mind you. I'm willing to take the risk of, uh, you know, the U.S. attacking us um, for the benefit of being able to buy my number two diesel fuel for like 30 cents a gallon <laughs> directly from the Russians. Yeah, and I, you know, I understand it is a risk. There's no doubt about it. I'm not going to say it's not possible. I'm just saying I don't think that it's very likely that they're going to attack because you also have to remember they would be attacking their own supporters in a lot of ways because when New Hampshire secedes from the U.S., it's not going to be 100% that supports secession. It's going to be something less. It'll, you know, let's say it's 70% because you have to have 67% or two-thirds to pass a constitutional amendment here in New Hampshire. So it has to be probably at least two-thirds of the population. So let's just say it's 70%, seven out of 10 people. That's three out of ten people who still support the United States government. Three out of ten people in the in New Hampshire, which would then be a independent nation, who the U.S. government would then be bombing to death in a bombing raid. Like that's not going to be very popular. Uh, that's not going to be a good look for the United States government. It's more likely if they're going to do something at all, it'll be economic. It'll be some sort of a. You know, uh, they'll try the same crap they tried with Russia or whatever, right? Like cutting the banks off from, or maybe uh, they'd even try doing sanctions and setting up a wall around us or something. Uh, But the thing is, is I I don't even really think that we have to technically even succeed. All we got to do is dissolve this corporation, calling it State of New Hampshire, as basically the only tie to the United States is a corporate charter uh, issued for the State of New Hampshire, issued by the United States. And and that's really it. And the only thing that gives a federal government any jurisdiction here on, on this particular dirt is the fact that there's so many people that are that have 
pledge allegiance to the United States yeah. and they are 14th they Amendment it. federal citizens. People want the federal government right now. They still, even though they're skeptical, even though they question it more so, I think, than ever, they still are married to the idea of being part of this federal government. And that's what needs to change. Uh, it has been a very abusive relationship, but apparently they haven't been beaten hard enough uh, by their federal daddy before they're finally going to change their mind and want to leave this relationship. All the addicts from the uh, people living in the tents, the drug addicts living in the tents mm-hmm. in the cities, they want their you know EBT card, they want their welfare, uh, right up to the corporate executives who are all you know getting most of the welfare. Like a very small portion of welfare actually goes to the drug addicts. Most of the welfare that the American people are paying the bill for or are financing, you know, into the future is going towards massive corporations and law firms and military industrial complex. So, like, yeah, I am sure that, you know, uh, uh, New Hampshire ball bearing, for example, which is right here in Keene, you know, Timken, New Hampshire ball bearing, all them, you know, a lot of their contracts are aerospace, military. Sure. So, yeah, they're definitely very much wanting, you know, not wanting that. And then you have all of your political parasite class, everybody who's going to collect a, uh, a government pension, whether it be state, federal, or local, uh, they all want that. we got to understand that you know, the state of New Hampshire is a federal franchise. It is a franchise of the District of Columbia. The, the state of New Hampshire that is a corporation that is, uh, the state of New Hampshire that well, is Well, there was land, the nation of New Hampshire. Well, the nation of New Hampshire still exists. It hasn't dissolved. Mm-hmm. It's still here. The problem is, is Everybody is claiming to be a 14th Amendment U.S. citizen by when they get their driver's licenses, when they get mm-hmm. any kind of permits, you know, when they fill out their, um, you know, uh, passport application, they claim that they're a, a U.S. citizen. Then they check that little box, right? Right. And they just, and they don't even know what the definition of U.S. U.S. citizen is. And there's nope. actually three there's definitions. There's different ones, yeah. Uh, according to the Supreme Court. And, uh, but anyways. That's not confusing or anything. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's all meant to be confusing. But the thing is, is uh, people, individuals, uh, and there's a lot of them in New Hampshire, are correcting their citizenship status. And there is a whole bunch of people offering a very similar, you know, sort of passport, you know, application process. You can find them all over the Internet. I've uh, heard of uh, there's at least a dozen guys doing it now uh, and, and a lot of them in New Hampshire. Uh, so you can look, check that out. But the, you know, the thing is, is uh, we got and, and you got to stop asking government for benefits. This is why we need to be investing in our posterity. So a generation from now, we have a whole bunch of young people that are like, I'm strong and confident and competent. I don't need government. You know, that that's really got to be the big mission forward here. And and the thing is, is we need to just stop interacting with the with the federal government just tell them no and you know stop you know stepping in their jurisdictional traps stop accepting their benefits stop accepting you know grants absolutely i mean new hampshire does this on an occasional basis right so for instance the state government has refused the bribe money from the federal government for decades now on the seatbelts and so it is proof positive that this can be done you can say no to their mandates. Well, New it's Hampshire just, was the only state that said no to uh, COVID money uh, at least one time around. Then they said yes, and then and well, then they arrested a bunch of people yeah. for you know, uh, you know, making a sort of a big deal about it and creating awareness. And subsequently dropped the charges, from what I understand, in those and uh, most of those mo- cases. Yeah, most of them. I don't know about all of them yet. Uh, but. Well. S- uh, Frank Footloose uh, Staples was convicted on one count 
of uh, disorderly conduct, but it was a total BS conviction, and he's appealing it Good. to the New Hampshire Supreme Court. Let's go to the phones. We've got uh, Dave Ridley on the line, somebody that is a big fan of independence. Dave, I don't know if you heard that last call with uh, Skeeter in California, The sort of the typical, oh, no, you're going to get carpet bombed by the U.S. government if you secede or China is going to invade this kind of fear-mongering, and I'm wondering if you have anything that uh, you wanted to weigh in on that point. Yeah, it's not 1750 anymore where you can wipe out a village and nobody knows about it for three weeks. Uh, I think the the appropriate precedents to be looking at are the ones that are recent. You know, how did this play out in Catalonia? How did it play out in Slovenia? How did it play out in Estonia? Well, it didn't go well in Catalonia. I mean, they, uh, it can, yeah, it, right. It can be, sometimes it's violent, uh, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's violent on, on both sides, but there's none of this stuff has played out, um, the, you know, the way the U S civil war did recently. Yeah. I think the best example would be, uh, great Britain exiting from the European union. I think that to me has the most parallels of what New Hampshire would be looking at doing, right? The European union, is a group of nations that came together for the purposes of whatever and uh, making a bigger government together. And uh, BRICS said, okay, we're, or sorry, uh, Britain said, we're out. And there was a, but it took a long time to make it happen. Some people weren't happy about it, but no one dropped a bomb on any, on either side. Do you know how much easier it would be for me to get uh, livestock processed here in New Hampshire? If Without the no, USDA? No USDA. There would be all kinds of butcher shops starting up. The uh, The economic hustle and bustle would just be... It would be amazing. Amazing. I mean, it's actually pretty yeah. good in New Hampshire now. I, I, anybody who wants has a job in New Hampshire. What are we calling about, really? The other, well, the other thing is that it's like, it's the most craven thing to say. Well... Uh, you know, uh, the reason why I'm going to help the federal government is because they're really bad, right? I mean, that's just, you do, you yeah. just the worse they are, the more important it is to discooperate with them. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, uh, Craven is the exact correct word there, Ridley. You, we are talking about cowardice, and that is what Skeeter represents. He represents uh, the ultimate in cowardice. He's someone who is not willing to do anything more than vote. Uh, to try to change the situation that he's in. We had him on, uh, He was a, he's a regular caller these days, and he called in the other day, and I asked him, well, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing to achieve this uh, this aggressive government that you're looking for? Because he calls himself an uh, accelerationist, and he said he's voting. <laughs> it's like, well, that's never going to change anything. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know how, you know, I don't know how long I can, I would be able to take it while they're pulling my fingernails off. Sooner or later, they'd get me on give in on something i I guess but uh you know it's not like they haven't ever done anything to me right i've been subjected to nakedness and temporary blindness and um cold and uh, humiliation and all the things that go with being arrested by the feds uh you know for in in my case handing out flyers Mm -hmm. so i hope that i've done something you know to show that that you can fight them um Peacefully, you know, I never gave yeah. them any money for you know when they were demand they were demanding one hundred twenty five dollars from me. But I, you know, other other people have done far far you know more uh, more more brave things against this government, um, and there's just no there's just no reason to to help them. Yeah, and I think that that we need uh, more bravery rather than more cravenness. 
uh, for lack of a better word. And I think that uh, courage is very infectious. When you see people behaving in a courageous manner, it can be very inspiring to those who are just simply watching. I know that's what happened to me when I was watching the earliest videos from uh, New Hampshire that were coming out in 2005 and uh, 2004. You were involved in, in some of this, Ridley, uh, with uh, the Cannings and some of the earliest movers, the uh, Canarios, that were here doing civil disobedience. And it's just making a stand, not in a violent way, but in a peaceful manner, showing that you could do things from a peaceful uh, perspective and yet have a very large impact and impact the viewer in a, in a really important way to show that there's another option besides just voting every four years to try to change the system from the inside. You can take direct action and you can make a difference out there uh, in a positive manner. And I think that that's just so important. And if we can attract more people who are willing to actually stand up for themselves and again, being peaceful while we do this secession thing, then we're going to be full of uh, a bunch of great, courageous activists who are not concerned with the fear that people like Skeeter are are trying to propagate, that they will not fall for that, that trick. Yeah. Anything else, Ridley? Did we even talk well, about what I you called calling, about? Yeah, I was calling about something completely different. Just okay, like great. Python. Uh, so um, I wanted to kind of start what may be a this would be a little bit of a series, you know, every few months I'll probably call in about this, but uh, I call it This Year in Free State History. As okay. You, you may be aware the, the Free State Project lamentably deleted its own history uh, around 2020 mm. by taking down uh, its web forum. Oh, yeah, that's right. The uh, The Free State Project forum, which is where so much of the uh, the original chatter about which state should be chosen and like, you know, who's going to move and what's going to happen. And some of the original ideas that were being thrown out, uh, you were on that forum. I was there. This was, this goes back to probably what, 2002, uh, this forum, it had a long history. Yeah. They spun up the forum in, I believe mid 2002. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yes, it was really a remark. Well, not remarkable, but it was at the time it was a mundane, but looking back, a really exciting uh, means of communication that really kind of doesn't exist anymore, except to some extent on the Shire Forum. Was anyone, uh, Ridley, do you know when they took that forum down, did they at least offer up the database to anyone that wanted to download it so they could uh, make a copy and put it somewhere else? They announced they were going to do it and gave about a month's notice, okay. I believe. So anyone wanting to do that probably would have been able to do it. Okay. At the time, I thought it would be bad, and I was nervous about it, but I didn't think realize just how bad it would be. And, and that now, now that I want to, when I want to go back, you know, anytime I want to go back and verify something, it's just like it's been erased from history. Oof. Yeah, yeah that's what happens so, when the Library of Alexandria goes digital. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's really easy to erase it if it's only on one centralized, uh, you know, platform. Well, when we took the Free Talk Live BBS uh, down, we actually didn't take it down. We left it up, and it's just you can't sign up for it. You can't post to it, so it's essentially frozen in time. Uh, so the Free Talk Live BBS is still there at bbs.freetalklive.com. Last, last I looked, at least, it was still operating. 
Um, but, uh, you know, the reason we ended up taking it down was it had just kind of fallen off in, into disuse. And I know that was true of the Free State Project Forum as well. It had kind of become a, a place where very few people were uh, were active. So I understand why, you know, the forum was taken down, but I think that uh, they should have made the database available. And if they did, then maybe somebody did download it, although it doesn't seem like it's popped back up that uh, that any of us have heard of, at least. Well, I will have to go look at the BBS, at your BBS, and see if that, that might be a good reflection of some of the history, because I, I know I posted there a lot when mm-hmm. it was up, and that should be an, a way for me to go back and at least look at some of the Free Stater posts there talking about what was going on at the time. Because digital, it, it, yeah, it's bad in some ways, but it means you can easily make copies. So uh, it's just it was just a flub up in not getting right. a copy of that free state form. But anyway, there were a series of interesting things that happened, and I'm focusing on this year. By this year, I mean 20 years ago this year, okay. 2003. This was and a big year. This was a huge year for the Free State Project, 2003. That was, that was the year they chose New Hampshire. Correct. And, of course, that's the thing that probably almost everyone in our movement at least remembers. But, yeah, in October of 2003, uh, the 5,000 you know, early signers to the Free State Project voted among 10 states which one they thought they moved to. Ridley, do you want to talk uh, more about it? Do you want to hang on and talk more about that? Yeah. All right. More with uh, Dave Ridley talking about uh, some history uh, 20 years ago, almost uh, October. So we're coming up in two months on the 20-year anniversary of New Hampshire being chosen as the destination for the Free State Projects. The reason, Jay, you and I are sitting in this room together right now. Uh, There's more coming up here. It is Free Talk Live. Eleutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. South Africa, of course, we're uh, referring to a nation, a national group of, uh, what, five nations right now. It could be expanding. In fact, the word is it is going to expand to include new nations as of this upcoming meeting they're going to have in just a few weeks. But it already includes 42% of the world's population in just those five countries. So this is becoming a real economic powerhouse. Uh, Mexico is trying to join BRICS amongst something like almost two dozen other countries. But we'll talk about that coming up here. It's Ian and Jay in the studio. Uh, Also, want to let you know about Mark Warden and the Porcupine Real Estate. We've been talking here about the Free State Project, about this migration of people who are coming from all over the United States and indeed all over the world to be part of the largest migration of libertarians on the planet, the largest concentration of anarchists, liberty-loving anarchists, voluntarists, whatever you call yourself. If you love freedom, you love human freedom, individual liberty, then you really ought to be looking at the Free State Project 
as a potential destination because there's nowhere else like this. Now, uh, Ridley called in here. Dave Ridley is on the line, longtime free stater since before New Hampshire was even chosen. And that's what you wanted to call about tonight, Dave, is the uh, sort of the history of the Free State Project going back 20 years to 2003. What was it that happened in 2003? One of the biggest things that happened was the Free State Project had its vote of the 5,000 first 5,000 members, and they chose from a slate of 10 candidate states, New Hampshire, and they chose it overwhelmingly, but I wanted to hear what you had to say about it. So go ahead. Yeah, there were other things that happened along the different. Wyoming came in second. Uh, That's right. They were, they were looking at they were looking at ten low population states with, without you know, raving authoritarian governance already in place, and um, they, as a result of there were a lot of people that were really big on Wyoming, and uh, we lost a lot of them when New Hampshire was picked. And so two thousand, I think two thousand, our membership rolls dropped by two thousand or so. Oh wow! Uh, immediately uh, as soon as as soon as that choice was made. It, it would have been even worse if Wyoming had been picked. I think we would have lost a lot of the New Hampshire people. Mm. Um, and by the way, the, the Wyoming just, thing never panned out into much. There was uh, a competing organization <clears throat> that was formed shortly after the vote called Free State Wyoming because there was a bunch of people who just they weren't willing to leave the West ultimately and they wanted to move to a Western state. And so some of them did move to Wyoming. They subsequently disappeared uh the wyoming free state wyoming organization held a camping event for a few years and then subsequently stopped updating their website in 2007 and nothing has ever been heard since actually in 2003 both keith carlson and i toured wyoming Hmm. to kind of investigate it for the free state project um and uh keith is still active he's still in in uh, in state um but uh in my case i guess i went after him and yeah, I, I'm a you know like a Colorado. I, was, I grew up in Colorado, and I like that climate a lot better. And so my mm-hmm. heart just ached, you know, when I was in Wyoming and realized I don't think this is going to work. It's beautiful, but I'm just not seeing it. Um, and it was just it was the distances. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it too was big. The, the it's lo- too big. The local the local reaction to us. Really. Uh, pe- people were friendly enough, but it just wasn't like New Hampshire where. Uh, it was like the state was begging us to move here. <laughs> mm. This is the only state where they, obviously the governor uh, invited us to move here, the sitting governor mm. at the time, and the, um, the the Libertarian Party put together a very organized effort to recruit free staters to vote for New Hampshire. No other state really was able to put that together. And, you know, when you're moving somewhere, a, a key priority is that you're not kind of unwelcome, right? You want to feel welcome if you're going to be an outsider, for sure. Difficult, difficult to achieve that. And this is the only place where it seemed achievable. Well, yeah, and I think you made a great point, uh, especially when it comes to the size of the, the land. I mean, look, Wyoming's just a huge place and relatively low population. I mean, even by comparison to New Hampshire, if I recall correctly, Wyoming is the lowest population of all the 50 states. Um, I think I remember it being around 450,000 at the time. I don't know if it's grown since uh, since then in the last 20 years, but uh, you know that's like a third basically of the New Hampshire population, and uh, and it's spread out over a much much larger landmass that also doesn't have the benefit of international borders like New Hampshire does. We were just talking about secession as a, a real possibility here someday, and it certainly would be easier to secede when you're surrounded by you know an international seaport right. and Canada. 
Yeah, that, that's huge for New Hampshire. Absolutely. And it's a relatively small place to where if you need to drive to the state capital, which is centrally located, unless you're in the most northern parts of the state, it's probably no more than an hour or so maximum from most of New Hampshire to get to the capital. That is not the case with a state the size of Wyoming. Anyway, you know, as time goes by, history is always a threat. Uh, We're we're always at at risk of losing our history, and it just seems important to start uh, remembering while we're able to remember. And I I could tell you a lot of other things about 2003. I should probably just call it, make a separate call sometime and and pick it up, you know, from there. Um, But uh, Yeah, that would be fun because there's probably a lot I don't remember about it. I mean, the, the vote sticks out. I mean, that was obviously the biggest thing that happened for the Free State Project in 2003. But I, as I recall, there were also some people that moved before the vote even happened. At least one lady, I think, uh, Jackie, if I recall her name correctly, she's sort of considered to be the first mover or like mover number zero to New Hampshire because she just went ahead and committed to it before the vote even happened and, and made the move here. Yeah, and that was significant because the Boston television station did a documentary which heavily featured her of course, she's mm-hmm. a very winsome character, especially in 2003. She was, and so there was, um, there was just this, you know, she just really created a, a, a profound vibe, you know, for what free staters were. Mm-hmm. She was just such an impressive individual, and the um, that documentary kind of set set the tone. And then I guess Michael Peltier and his wife moved uh, right about the same time, and they may have been the first movers after the the. Uh, the state was picked. Now, I and believe almost, she's still here. I don't know about the Peltiers. Are they still around, or did they end up? Um, I haven't else? heard. I haven't heard much about them recently. Yeah, I've seen Jackie within the last couple of years, so I know she's still. I think she was at the uh, New Hampshire Liberty Alliance their dinner that they had, if I recall, last year. Maybe it was the year before. Ridley, keep us in the loop on these uh, historic moments for the Free State Project. That seems seems like a fun project, and I appreciate your call tonight. Yeah. Thanks for the call, man. That's Dave Ridley from RidleyReport.com. When did you pick up on it, uh, Jay Noon? What was, uh, do you remember when you first yep. heard about the Free State Project? Yep. Uh, my brother Josh was playing Pumpkin Fest. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you walked up to him after you heard one of his songs <laughs> and, like, gave him some Free State Project propaganda. And uh-huh. my brother's like, dude, you, this guy Ian told me about this thing called the Free State Project. And it was like two, uh, four ish, five ish. I don't know. You were living here, I guess. Yeah. You, yeah. you were doing a show from here. Um, but yeah, you heard 2005, you said, I don't remember exactly. No, I was here in 2006. So it must've been maybe, but it was at a pumpkin festival and his band was called eighth escape at the time. Really? And I don't even remember that. (laughs) And he, he, his set has a lot of politically motivated songs. And that's what caught my attention. That is what caught your attention. And you kind of made it the point, you know, for the band to come off stage and uh, you talked to him. He said he talked to you for like an hour Mm. and, And then I didn't go to Porkfest, I believe, until 2000. He went to Porkfest once. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, he's like, oh, you got to come. You got to check this. And I almost didn't go. And I got up there on like Friday night. Did late. you go to the Gunstock one or was it at Rogers? It was at Rogers. Okay. I never went to Gunstock. Okay. And the first Porkfest I went to, I got there, you know, Friday at like, you know, 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the next year I got there Thursday. And then it wasn't, you know, a couple of years before I started doing the whole week because <laughs> that was my when I was in the hay business. Yeah. That was a very busy time of year for me. But yeah, so did Josh, uh, yeah, you approached my brother at okay, a pumpkin cool. festival. It's all my fault then. <laughs> uh, so I, I internet searched, no, no, and thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, this, no problem. this is great. 
Uh, we I, still got to get Josh up here one of these days. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. He's still <laughs> living straggler. in Massachusetts. Poor guy. Uh, <clears throat> Free State uh, Wyoming forum. So I just internet searched uh, Free State uh, Wyoming. Yeah. Did their their forum still up? Well, the the, the last post was from a couple uh, weeks ago, oh, um, wow. June thirteenth, twenty twenty three, and it's uh, uh, fswforum.org. Free okay. State Wyoming wow. forum. I'm amazed so. that's still around. There you go. I know. didn't even know there was a Free State Wyoming until uh, I, I I think I did, heard it once before, but that that reminded me of it. You said there was a post three weeks, two weeks, oh, June thirteenth. Right. Yep. Yeah, there was not a whole lot of other ones though. Nope. I mean, if you look at the rest of the uh, the forum, it's 2010, 2019, 2012, 2017, 2016, 2015. Yeah, it's not and that 2017. Active. So uh, <laughs> well, Wyoming's a nice place. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in Northeast Colorado, I, which was basically you know. Not not far from Wyoming, I, I did go to Wyoming uh, once in a while when I was out there, mm. and I really I actually liked everywhere I've gone. I can't say you know and anywhere that's like not in a city, I like it. Wow, uh, you can't even click on the for on the actual forum if you want to go and look at the post. Maybe you have to be a member. I'm guessing to actually. I just looked at actually, a post. I'm not a member. That's weird. I'm getting a 403 error. It's uh, oh yeah, I did it from my phone. It's telling me I'm forbidden from going in there. Anyway, uh, good luck to them out there if they're still out there. It's just you never hear anything about it. There's never any kind of coverage. The uh, They stopped having their yearly jamboree back in 2007, at least according to their website. So, you know, that's kind of what people expected to happen in a state as large as Wyoming. Like, you can't really have a meaningful concentration in a place that huge. And I think that's one of the reasons why New Hampshire won so overwhelmingly, beyond the fact that there was a tremendously persuasive 101 Reasons document that was released prior to the vote uh and there were some pitch pieces from the other nine states every state had its advocates the people that presumably already lived there that didn't want to move uh they came up with uh whatever pitch they could make and the free state project cobbled them all into one document that they physically sent to the first five thousand members so you received a i don't know 40 page booklet or something like that where you, you page through it and each each state made their uh, made their pitch to you to try to you know support us and new hampshire just blew the rest of them out of the water with their 101 reasons to move to new hampshire which ended up becoming a documentary film in 2014 and uh justin o'donnell uh who's a free stater from massachusetts also he ended up rewriting the 101 reasons into a book that just came out late last year if i recall correctly and that book is available I think that's on I think it's online for free and of course you can get a printed version for a small cost through Amazon but if you go to 101reasonsfilm.com there's a link to his book there right up at the top of the the site you can still watch the old uh documentary which is eh, somewhat relevant uh but I know Justin is planning on doing a whole new re uh revamping or redoing from scratch of the 101 reasons so taking his book which is completely up to date and i mean we're talking about a document that was 20 years old at this point he has updated that and he's done a really good job of it i've read the whole book and it's uh, it's really persuasive he's got a lot of new information in there about what makes new hampshire so special and why liberty-minded people should be choosing to move here but he is going to produce that into a film i don't know the current status of it um, I would love to actually talk to him and maybe you know get an update from him on that. But I'm very excited to see the new 
101 Reasons to Move to New Hampshire documentary because the new book is is great. So if you guys are out there and you know moving to New Hampshire sounds attractive and you want to dig deeper, I recommend his book. It really does get into some of the wins, the success stories that we've had here in New Hampshire and some of the things that are just, you know, historically really good about uh, being here. And that's something that we could just go off on if if we wanted to. But we were talking about bricks and I want to get back into that. And then coming up, you've got a story about some people who were uh, unjustly targeted by the police here in New Hampshire, Jay. And I want to definitely get into that because this this is not a free state. I know people like to go around there and, and talk about New Hampshire as though it's the quote unquote free state. It's still a state. There's still state actors here. There's oh, still state yep. aggressors here. We have a lot of parasites that are fighting hard yeah. to make sure that their pension is going to be there. And another thing we've got to understand, everywhere in a country, people got to understand almost all, most of their taxes, the majority of their taxes is going to pay pensions. Not for goods and services. Yeah, it's yeah. for pensions. <laughs> and that's bad bad news for sure. And it's so, only going to get worse because these, these pensions are guaranteed. And when the stock market goes down and things start to collapse, uh, they're just going to, you know, the state's just going to keep on pointing guns at taxpayers to pay more taxes. Yeah, we've so got a lot that, that needs to change here for sure. Uh, when when we say New Hampshire is the, the most free of all states, it's a true statement by different metrics out there, including the Freedom in the 50 State study that's been done on a yearly or bi-yearly basis for the last several years. Um, so, I mean, we do have some good things going for us, but we got a lot of work to do. So, uh, BRICS. We were talking about this BRICS alliance. They're coming up with their yearly summit that's happening in just a few weeks where they may be extending bricks i don't know if they're going to just keep the acronym as is or just start adding more letters to it i guess time will tell but they are going to be meeting in johannesburg this month to discuss enlarging the block this story from msn and cryptopolitan reporting the potential expansion has the support of influential voices within the alliance such as brazilian president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. However, the process requires careful consideration with India and Brazil seeking to frame guidelines before admitting new members. There'll be an opportunity for BRICS leaders to meet face-to-face with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi confirming his attendance in South Africa, uh, dispelling prior speculation. On the other hand, Vladimir Putin will participate virtually while the group representing more than 42% of the world's population deliberates on critical matters. I mean, that is a huge number, right? 42% of the world's population. I don't know what the U.S. percentage is, but it's much smaller than that. I mean, 300 million people isn't exactly a but, lot of people. But the 40, that 42% of the population is a population of people who are, you know, stronger. Uh, you know, they got, they're more willing to like, you know, work hard to get mm-hmm. what they want. That's because a lot of them are impoverished. Right. Yeah. They've been struggling for years. They've been in poverty They're uh, and, and they're going to, going to, they're not afraid to work is, is, is a lot of the big thing. And they're starting to become more evolved and smarter with, you know, the technology and the internet. And also mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of them are getting their brains destroyed too, uh, by the internet. Like what's been happening here for a very long time in the United States. Now for 20 years, we've had basically high speed internet in all the major cities and, uh, but, you know, all the Americans are just pretty much fat and happy and, you know, just, sure. you know, Big happy time. to eat their cheap, you know, government subsidized food to where a lot. I bet you the people, most of the people in these countries have had to, like, grow and harvest their food because food is so expensive because it's not government subsidized in those nations like it is here. Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like this, you know, for that Free Talk Live thinks bricks is some sort of freedom bastion. It's not. I mean, these are not free countries, right? Like 
Brazil, Russia, India, China, South South Africa. I mean, these are oppressive nation states, just like every nation state uh, is oppressive. The United States isn't even the freest country in the world by various different metrics out there. The freedom of the uh, economic freedom indexes don't even have the U.S. in, in some cases in the top 10. Uh, so, I mean, th- these aren't freedom-friendly places. It's just noteworthy because they are economically growing. These are places where they have clawed back some of the regulations like i mean china's gotten worse in in recent years as i understand it but there were a couple decades where they had a lot more economic freedom to start companies and things like that and as you said jay these are people who are hungrier yes literally and those are people who are willing to work hard we know that immigrants to the united states those who are uh, fortunate enough to actually be allowed to immigrate here tend to be more entrepreneurial Oh, yeah, they got an awesome hustle. Yep. These guys got all kinds of jobs. I mean, look at all the Indian guys running, you know, um, convenience stores. A all lot of them of own, a lot of those families own several convenience the stores. The hotels in this area are, are owned by uh, sure, Middle they, Eastern guys. They own convenience stores. The same family owns uh, hotels, uh, yep. trucking companies. Uh, you know, as they're and, they're, and they're having seven, eight kids, and all the kids are growing up in the yeah, stores. They're like, you know, you know, four or five years old. They're like my kids working on a farm. This way, these Indian culture raises their kids and then the kids are 17 18 years old and they got landscaping businesses truck trucking yeah, businesses very entrepreneurial the average whatever. Uh, the average immigrant to the united states is far more likely to be of the entrepreneurial mindset than the average american that's just born here you know with a silver spoon in their mouth and that mindset in, in in those countries where you're under such government oppression and you're poor and they're like you know basically communist socialist type countries mm-hmm. and where, you know, like you said, they're, they're not free at all. But that mindset, you know, does make these people strong and hungry. And, and, and they have to, like, like when Russia collapsed, you know, in, what was it, 89 or 92 or something, a good friend of mine, he, he likes to talk about this. He was talking about because it was a, a communist country that you had to engage in a black market just to basically maintain yourself and mm-hmm. have enough to, to food. eat. Yeah. Uh, nobody had lawns. Everybody had gardens. Every kid was maintaining gardens and doing mm-hmm. like actual work. There was none of this, you know, basically nonsense going on because you couldn't afford it. So when everything collapsed, the black market was so strong that the people uh, were able to, to uh, continue and, and essentially do okay uh, to where here in America, there's so few people that like if, if their card, they can't swipe their card. I don't care if it's your, visa platinum or your ebt card there's a lot of people that if that card doesn't work they're screwed no doubt about it uh the one more point here they make is that there's uh, apparently a chinese-backed new development bank that they've established which they say is more effective and generous than the imf illustrates the resolve to lift global economies without sinking them a powerful statement against the traditional financial giants. This move away from the U.S. dollar also comes as a response to pressing sanctions by the U.S. against developing countries as BRICS seeks to end the reliance on the greenback. And there's so much counter, uh, or there's so much propaganda from U.S. sources like the big uh, Forbes magazine, Financial Times, these big sort of economic reporting places, which they love to publish these articles like, Oh, the U.S. dollar will never be taken down from <laughs> from its dominance. And there's a lot of denial out there 
around the potential end of dollarization for the world. But yet, meanwhile, while people are sticking their fingers in their ears and effectively yelling, la, 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 they just don't want to hear the news about what's happening here and that you've got BRICS possibly going forward with some sort of BRICS currency. Again, we're talking about 42% of the world's population right now. And what's it going to be when they add Mexico? What's it going to be when they add, you know, what was it, uh, Venezuela, Argentina? I mean, so many different nations are looking to join BRICS. Uh, this could be a huge economic boon uh, for these people out in these uh, these other countries, especially if they get rid of the dollar holdings in these central banks. The thing that's going to happen, and you you kind of touched on this earlier, I think, Jay, when we were talking about the inflation rates of the different central banks of the world and how the U.S. is so much worse as far as, you know, it's got its ten- tentacles in all these other places. Well, if these other places push back and say, you know what, we're getting rid of these dollars, they sell off their dollar holdings, those dollars don't just disappear. They have to go somewhere. Well, you've been seeing this happen for a long time. So one of the things I did in Colorado is I would well, before go... before you go into oh, that, go ahead. Yep. the dollars come back to the United States. Right. And that is what is going to happen if these countries start to just jettison billions of dollars or I don't know how many hundreds of billions or whatever, and then they just start flowing back into the United States, flowing back into the U.S. economy. Because when they print out trillions of dollars or you know increment numbers in a computer system, which is usually how they do it, when they print trillions of dollars into the economy, it's going across the whole world. And so it's diluted more by doing that. So if all that comes back or even a fraction of that comes back, you're going to see prices go up dramatically, I think, in the in the U.S. So anyway, go ahead. So when I was out in Colorado, one of the jobs I did is I would go uh, for my stepfather and a couple of other of his uh, friends and partners. I would go to these equipment auctions and I would kind of survey the equipment, check it out and call them up, give them a report and then be there and bid on this equipment. And I could tell you I really didn't get anything bought. Uh, the stuff that uh, th- like, uh, for example, a. Uh, John Deere 4950 farm tractor was probably built sometime in the early 80s. Nice tractor. It's, mm-hmm. you know, 200 horsepower, four-wheel drive, got a full cab, air conditioning, all that stuff. And, you know, that tractor, today's equivalent, that tractor is probably about $200,000, maybe maybe two seventy-five. dollars That tractor was, you know, maybe twelve, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000 in the 80s. And Whoa. these tractors were bringing like $100,000, $125,000. And my stepfather wow, was like, that's crazy. yeah, if you can buy that one for twenty grand, let us take it. You know, it's, that's no about sale, what they're right? worth. Well, no, it, it the um, guys on the phone were buying them. And what it was, it was all, we, uh, we were all getting outbid. Everybody there at these auctions were getting really? outbid by the guys on the phone. And, and where the guy, were they calling from? Uh, Brazil. Ooh, basically yeah. online auctions. You know, uh, Brazil... Uh, Argentina. Um, uh, there was actually uh, some uh, some buyers that were there in person that were Russians. And actually, you see a lot of Russians at like a lot of uh, auctions, car mm-hmm. auctions, equipment auctions, construction au- auctions. And then the exporter business is huge right now. The, the the exporters are paying top dollar for everything. So a lot of good American equipment is leaving Going America. Out. That's interesting. There's more coming up here. The number is 603-283-6160. And isn't Brazil one of the biggest meat producing co- yes. uh, countries on the planet? Uh, we got hour number three is on the way. You can join us here on Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. Entering into the third hour of the show. And if you, of course, can join us, you can bring up anything you want to talk about. Take control of the airwaves at 
603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. We've been focusing somewhat on the international scene with uh, BRICS coming up in about three weeks with their big summit where they may be allowing more nations to join. And the big question is, what's the acronym going to be when uh, it's all said and done? No, that's not the big question. The big question is going to be, are they going to come out with their own currency? That's one of the things that's being uh, bandied about. We covered that. If you want to weigh in on that, you're certainly welcome to join us. The number is 603-283-6160. It's Ian and Jay here tonight. Donald Trump has pleaded guilty to more criminal charges brought against him by the federal government that he once ruled. Uh, and uh, we can get into that later if we get the chance. But we're going to focus a little bit more local here, uh, Jay. And, and this is a situation that's not so local. This is happening to people all around the country being targeted uh, by the police for peaceful acts like taking your kids to a playground. This actually happened in multiple places, as I understand it, during COVID. It happened in Concord, New Hampshire. Uh, and there's video of this going down. We've actually, I think if not played the video on the air talked in great detail about what happened uh in the case and i believe we're you're going to tell us about what happened to some of the other parents we had uh, spoken with rochelle kelly who was one of the parents who was targeted by police on this particular day during i think it was like april 2020 if i recall correctly something like that you know there was still snow on the ground in concord at the time and they brought their kids to a playground that was completely empty With the exception of these few parents and these few kids that had gone specifically to the park for this one day. And some dirty snitch called the police on these people. And the police came out. Rather than just ignoring the call about kids playing in a playground, the the Concord police came out. And they threatened the the parents. And they told the parents they had to get their kids off of the playground or else. And the the parents did. The parents uh, removed their kids from the playground, and that was the end of the interaction. It it seemed like it was over and done with. It was ridiculous. The video is outrageous. Uh, I believe you can see a copy of it at the Freekeen Odyssey channel over at video.freekeen.com. But that wasn't the end of the story. They didn't want it to end there, they being the police thugs who decided they were going to go ahead and find out who these parents were. And it took months. If I recall, it was several months before police put warrants out for the arrest of Rochelle Kelly. And I presume these other parents who were involved as well. And you're going to tell us yeah, a little the, bit more about it. The incident was April 23rd, and they were arraigned on October 19th, according to an article yeah. out of the Concord Monitor. Half a year later. Yep. <clears throat> well, same thing with my wife. You know, mm-hmm. it was an incident that she was literally arraigned well over a year later. Wow. Over, you know, with... Uh, you know, my daughter in the car for mm-hmm. 20 minutes. So what what happened is, uh, so Pamela is a friend of ours, Pamela uh, Pamela Jules, she's mentioned in here, but okay. Pamela and Tyler Workman, they were, you know, uh, husband and wife, they have a couple of kids and their kids play with my kids and, you know, they come to homeschool co-op and stuff. And she was telling me. She was me, the one that was really letting them have it in the video, if I recall correctly, right? Wasn't there like one of the moms that was really just going off on the cops? I don't really recall the video, uh, mm. but, it, you know, it could have been either one of them. I mean, she's, you know, she's a feisty woman. Okay. She's a, she's a mama bear. You yeah, know, she one was of these totally standing moms. up for herself, yep. which was awesome. And, and her kids. Uh, that, that's, you know, because, well, most of the men are just, you know, been chemically ca- emotionally castrated <laughs> by the state. So we got a whole bunch of soy boys that aren't, you know, interested in, you know, doing anything uh so now it's the women who are you know 
become the new uh, freedom fighters and 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 the warriors. Hmm. So, anyways, uh, Tyler Workman ended up filing uh, complaints with the police department, the Concord Police Department, against Stephen Carter and Paige uh, Salmon. These are are these the cops that responded to the scene? Yes, and these are the cops that would have uh, filed the warrant. Okay, because um, I didn't know if it, I didn't know if it was the same cops who were there versus who did I, the paperwork. I believe whatever. so, but these okay. are I be, and I'm pretty sure I know that these are the cops' names. I got out of mm-hmm. the articles, but I I remember. Now, um, hold, hold on, time frame here. Let me let me see if I'm following this. So, April of 2020, the incident in the park happened. Yep. October, they got arraigned. Yep. When was the filing of the lawsuit in regards to the uh, court case against the parents? Oh, uh, the filing of the court case against the parents. Uh, I don't know when that was. I would have to look into that. Well, it's, no, no. I mean the lawsuit. You're, you're saying they're suing. You're saying the parents are suing. They're preparing. The they haven't actually filed the lawsuit. The okay, window's so that's closing coming. pretty soon. Okay. So they're, they're, they're working on that. So they uh, they already but went they to court. they filed complaints. Yeah, but they've been uh, found not guilty. Not guilty, yep. which is also the same thing that happened with Rochelle Kelly. Yep. We fi- followed that case. I was there recording video, if I if I recall correctly, of that the the courtroom was packed full of people in the Rochelle Kelly case, which was awesome. It's great to see that level of support, people coming out to to back somebody up. And the judge, you could tell he didn't want to find her not guilty. Or if it, I think it was a guy. Anyway, the judge, whoever it was, didn't want to do it. Like he kind of read her, mm-hmm. uh, read her the riot act while finding her not guilty, essentially lecturing her. But he had to because it was just so obviously you know, yeah. wrong what happened to her. So anyways, Tyler goes and files a complaint with mm-hmm. the Concord Police Department against these two cops, which is the first step in basically going after these guys and having something. Uh, you got to have a know, record. Something done mm-hmm. about it. Yes. Okay. So we know they're not going to do anything about right, it, but right. at least there's now a piece so, of paper in the system. So the, the Concord Police Department responded with a no trespass order against uh, Tyler Workman. Wow. So, which means, which says to me that, so is a no trespass order, you know, I don't know, is this just a uh, city of Concord no trespass order? Is it a police department no trespass order? Does this mean that he can't take his kids to the park now? You haven't seen it? You haven't seen the actual order? No, no, I just heard about it. I'll I'll see it next week. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious as well. Yeah. So... Uh, it reminds me of the time that we got, not you, but uh, some of the activists, including me here in Keene, were banned from the courthouse <laughs> years ago during the Derek J's victimless crime spree uh, era. They literally no trespassed us from the Cheshire County Courthouse. So it's, so at the very least, it sounds like he's being denied access to the police. That's so, what it sounds like. You so, can't come down here? Yeah. So there's this article on the New Hampshire Constitution that says something about, uh, you know, each uh, member of society, you know, gives up a little bit of his... You know, freedom or whatever. Yep. I don't think it says freedom. But, yeah, it's uh, you give up your rights in return for protection. For that's, protection. That's the so, supposed deal of citizenship. And, and it's a scam, by the way. Right. And so uh, here, the, the 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 Concord PD, which is, you know, a garbage police department comp, Concord. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, like, even like. Yeah, they're terrible. The, they're just, I don't know what their deal is, but, you know, this is what happens when you have cities. Yep. And you have, uh, you know, the. You know, the elitist people, you know, controlling what goes on in cities because, you know, the more, more power, more concentration of power. So anyways, uh, yeah, so they got charged with no trespass order. And, you know, but basically the Concord PD, best I can tell, they're just a private corporation. They're a charity. Just like, and I will say this, you know, again and again, if you want to Internet search Massachusetts, um, uh, state police uh are not governments they're charities it's uh massachusetts aclu versus massachusetts state police 
uh, and you will, 2014, Jack Collins, if you've got to put that in a search, you'll find where the Supreme Court of Massachusetts has ruled that the state police are law enforcement councils. They're not part of the government and they're not, they're not subject to these uh, Freedom of Information Act requests because they're not part of the government. They Can are there a charity. be a better word than charity? Because like to call this the police what, a charity. <laughs> th- but they're registered with the IRS as a charity. Wow. Their law enforcement. Co- this is the exact. They don't act language. like a charity, though. I mean, a charity takes donations. A charity is doing things on a voluntary basis. The police are using force. They're using the threat of violence to right. extract money from the population. Yep. This Tyler is now being forced to pay for a service that they're telling him he can't even come right. to use. Right. Even yep. if you if you have even wanted to use their service, which sucks. Uh, like right now, Bonnie's been trying to get the Keene police to do something for a few months, something just real simple, and they just, they're not doing it. Right. You know, what's their obligation? Turns out they have no obligation. Right. They don't have any obligation because they're not part of the government. In fact, these guys, if you want to send your local, whatever you think is a government, let's say, Ian, you want to send the city of Keene a public records request for the document they rely on that they are an article four, section four form of government as described and as prescribed, as described and prescribed and required by the U S constitution. They will basically send you a copy of their town charter, or they will deny it saying that we don't have that document and their town charter calls them a governmental agency. Mm -hmm. So getting into the Supreme court ruling with, uh, um, ACLU versus state police and Jack Collins was the guy who represented the state police. Uh, the uh, Supreme Court of New Hampshire uses the words charity. The Massachusetts State Police Law Enforcement Councils are a charity, just like the American Heart and Lung and Cancer Society. They say this. Hmm. And and this, and I, I've been saying now, this for years. When you say years. the law enforcement council, is that different from the state police? No, it's the state police is made up of fifty-two law enforcement councils. You're as talking of, about in Massachusetts. Yes. You said New Hampshire Supreme Court. It wasn't New oh, Hampshire. Oh yeah, it's right? Massachusetts Supreme okay. Court. But you're going to find the same thing is mm-hmm. basically going on in all these in all these states because they're all all these states are just franchises of the District of Columbia. They all operate under the same uniform commercial code. They're all getting the same federal subsidies mostly. Um, even this, uh, the one, my, the, the thing my wife was charged with child endangerment, I uh, haven't found exactly how it, uh, it comes about, but the federal government gives some kind of grant or subsidy or some kind of money to either police departments or whoever. I think it's, I think it's local towns or cities or police departments. Each time they do this child endangerment charge against something, they actually mm-hmm. get some kind of stipend from the state is what I'm understanding. I haven't gotten that actual where that comes from like we know dcyf well, how do gets, you dig this information up i mean it's got to be really right really it's quiet. tough um it's hush it's, hush and and uh you know they're all like oh it's a few clicks away but we got some i got a couple of friends working on it we're going to do some uh right to know requests on you know did the concord pd get any money does the concord pd get any money from the feds you know for for enforcing you know this uh, rsa 463 point whatever it's called it's Child gonna be hard to it's gonna be hard to nail that down, but it'll be interesting to see what they say. Yeah, actually, uh, Jr. Hole uh, will probably have it figured out pretty quick. He's pretty good at this stuff, and and, and he he's was a like, state representative. Yes, and and, and he's uh, <laughs> he's really been getting into the whole like DCYF. Well, that's because they screwed his family over. Yeah, they uh, actually. That's, what, that's unfortunately what it takes to get people's attention. Is yep. the government has to put their targets on you yep. or your, your direct family members before people will actually wake up and say, "Oh my God, this isn't the." free country that that i thought it was but i want to get back into the uh, tyler workman uh, you said his name yep. was and pamela jewel was yep. it so these guys are a couple 
Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I, yeah. I believe they're married. You know, Pamela Workman's what I know her as. I just mm-hmm. call her Pamela Jewel in the article. Uh, but and, yeah, so they got served with a no trespass order, and they're actually going to be filing complaints with all the state agencies. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I suggested also that you know because I'm going to be doing the same thing with my case with all the you know government bureaucrats that uh you know injured my family, took my time away. Sure. Uh, yeah, you never get that back. We're gonna we're gonna you know do our best to correct it. So, so just let me see if I'm following this here. So they were charged in this BS case where the cops came after them and and arrested them for bringing their kids to the park. They won those cases, and then they started filing requests for information, freedom of information requests, with Concord Police. Concord Police then responds with a no trespass order against them. Is that I, right? Did I, I understand that right? They filed a complaint. I don't know a about complaint. a right-to-know request, okay. but they filed a complaint. Now they're doing right-to-know yep. requests. Uh, they're going right. to be okay. now, yes. we I We're going to actually mm-hmm. meet up about this, so... Um, this is also going to work into, you know, our, um, you know, courtroom meetup that we're having, mm. uh, a few friends of ours and where we're organizing and working on essentially, you know, uh, r- reporting all these bad actors to the state agencies, to the government a- agencies, which are going to quite likely just do nothing about it, which we expect them to do nothing about it. But then we can say, look, they don't hold themselves accountable. Look, look here, legislature, um, all these government agencies did nothing so you know we need uh there needs to be some teeth to be sunk into these government bureaucrats somehow uh they need to lose their pensions they need to go to jail somebody needs to stay after school there has to be and and the more and more that we show uh, and 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 so this is happening on every level so from just regular old regular people who are just trying to go to the park you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and raise their kids are being targeted and right up to, you know, right on all the media where you have the Department of Justice going after Trump uh, for all the wrong mm-hmm. things. You know, there's reasons to go after Trump. I mean, he's, you know, participated in, you know, bombing people uh, right. you know, no, as a president. That's not the reason why. And, right? yeah. and, and these these ridiculous reasons that like basically are just a, a distraction. And yet you got Hunter Biden, you know, using uh, prostitutes to make porno. He's on mm-hmm. video doing drugs. Yeah, Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Greene did a really good, like, exposing, you know, all of uh, some, you know, whatever porno thing that Hunter Biden, you know, filmed and videotaped. And then she, at the end of it, she's like, oh, and he wrote it all off on his business taxes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Brisma money he got. Mm-hmm. And the, But anyways, it's just, it, it's so clear and cut. Uh, right now that like anybody who and, and I don't know any like actual working class people that uh, agree with the way justice is being administered in this country. The only people who agree with the seems that it was like, you know, Tony Kaplan, for example, who's just, you know, a career state, you know, government employee guy who was a guy I ran against for state representative here in New well, Hampshire. If but- that's true, then Donald Trump has a good chance at a jury. If it's actually true that people are sick and tired of things and you know uh, was- a jury where? <laughs> Well, there's because one who in picks D.C. The jurors? apparently now. Yeah, who they, picks the jurors? Right. The government picks the jurors. So they like, e- they even do. like my wife getting a fair jury would be really hard, especially in Concord, yeah. because Concord is mostly a bunch of liberals. You know, um, I, and I yeah, think that's a good point. And, and, you know, and I think that uh, a mom in a situation like well, my wife's going to have a jury trial that well, there's a couple of different things. Uh, the jurors should, at the very least, all be moms, be mothers. That that would be a true jury of one's peers. Unfortunately, yep. it doesn't seem like you get that kind of jury 
when it comes like in, in my case in the crypto six case it should have been crypto people who were on the yeah. jury but no they prohibited uh essentially they did everything they could to kick off anybody that knew anything at all that would be uh, i hope that your lawyers working at uh, uh in the appeals no, i don't think you can i think <clears throat> that that's been so long set uh, think, in in the courts, it's just like I think you'd have to the try. definition of a uh, <laughs> the definition of a peer is just somebody else who's a voter. I mean, it's just such a stupid system. Unfortunately, let's go to the phones here. We've got somebody on the line, an anonymous caller. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, my name is Mark. How you doing, Mark? You're on the air. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, I I wanted to know what your thoughts were on why all these things are happening. Like. Is there someone at the top who's very rich, like the, someone from the World Economic Forum or the World Health Organization? Do they want control? Do they want power? Are they going to ruin the food system, the banking system, so we have to go digital? Then they can control us. Like if I say I love God or something, and you know they can like shut my money off. Is this? Is this? You know, should I be afraid? What do you think? Well, I don't think that you should live in a state of fear. I mean, we did talk about fear earlier. Fear is certainly a killer. It will keep you from uh, from accomplishing things in life. It will put you in a in a state where you could be easily taken over by illness. I mean, fear is a very very uh, bad place to be. That's not to say that there aren't people out there who do have negative intentions. I mean, certainly whoever they are, the governments of the world and the people that control those governments, these uh, these mega corporations, they definitely want a docile, fearful group of people that they can they can rule over. I mean, you you agree with that, right, Jim? Yeah, so, I mean, so I got a sort of a bunch of answers on on your uh, question, you know, who's in control? Well, so we know that three to five percent of the population are essentially psychopaths or sociopaths, or these people. Is it who that lust many? I power. thought it was only one percent. Well, I, well, okay, one percent, one percent psychopaths. So there may be more sociopaths. Three to five percent okay, number I've been hearing. But and then you have all of these, you know, the incompetent people I talk about, the people who mm-hmm. beg for government. You know, so we got a lot of people right now that their career is so specifically one thing. Like, you know, for example, the guy's an accountant. He can't do anything else but be an accountant. He can't make money, like, doing other things but being an accountant. So he feels, so he believes, so he's been trained. So you have a lot of people who, you know, because of, like, you know, academia and the, you know, guidance counselors and you're going to go to college, you know, to learn about this one particular thing. Uh, So there, so a lot of, like, you know, your, and then you have your government employees and your people that are, you know, all in the medical system and all the heavily government regulated system and all the people like all, all, every nurse is a license to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. And all of these, a lot of these, you know, so-called professionals that are licensed by the state uh, because, you know, I feel that they, they have um, are, are somewhat incompetent. Well, they're they're incompetent or they lack confidence. So they, you know, need to get all of this, you know, certification and stuff from the government and praise from the government. And they well, well, well hold on. COVID was them. a perfect example of how those people are compromised. Right. Because, oh, absolutely. Because, you know, they may be very competent. They may be very good at the job that at, they're at, doing. At the one thing they do. Sure. Right. They, I, I mean, but when the pressure came on to these people of you either take the government line on COVID or you lose right. your job, that was the moment when you really got to see which ones had the courage right. to stand for their own convictions and potentially lose their their job and there weren't that many of them um most of them went along to get along even they, they even kept their mouths shut if they disagreed with the official government line and so that's a perfect uh, example yeah. so anyways like that basically if you're not following a narrative you know 
Um, you're not part of the cult. So we got a whole bunch of just make it simple. We have a bunch of cult members. They're just going to worship this cult called the state. Mm-hmm. And so all of their pensions uh, absolutely require this worship to happen, require sure. people to keep paying into the state. In fact, here in New Hampshire, and I'm sure in every state in the uh, in the United States of America, uh, there is a college program at Granite State University that was titled something like uh, maximizing revenue for DCYF. And they would incentivize the social workers that are going out, you know, trying to, you know, get families to agree to some kind of service for services from Child Protection Services or DCYF uh, so they could get the federal money. And this federal money coming into the system into support DCYF. They, these people are trained that this is, or told, I should say, that this is what funds their pension. And they are also told that they need to have more people come in behind them to keep their pensions fund. This is what this particular cult uh, of, of you know government employees is told. And most of the government employees that are out there, most of what our tax dollars, first off, is paying for is pensions, like I was saying before. Mm-hmm. But most government employees are totally unnecessary. And the few government employees that, like I would say, uh, are useful are like the guy the plowing plow guy. the road yep. you know the um you know then you have like utilities which are sort of semi-government Maybe you know electricity firemen. water yeah. and firemen we have all kinds of examples of uh, uh private fire departments in fact we have a really good example it's called palmer ambulance service palmer massachusetts it is a private ambulance service yeah. and it works really well they had that here in uh, in Keene as well but i want to see if uh if mark had anything he okay wanted go to ahead. in on Yes, uh, yes. Uh, thank you for answering that. Um, in the last four or five years, who's benefited from this? Who's who's the puppet master that could influence the leaders of the world to make these bad decisions or or whatever or whatever decisions? Well, they're bad for uh, the the majority of the population, but they're very good decisions when it comes from the perspective of the international bankers. Uh, and whoever else it is that stands to benefit, right? Like, there's a reason why these people are are doing this. And we could get into esoteric things if we wanted to. uh, But if you want, hang on, we can continue the discussion. The number is 603-283-6160. Talking about, I think as Ernie Hancock would put them, they, them, those. Who are these people? Anyway, uh, it's not Joe Biden. It's the people who are behind Joe Biden, right? The people that are the puppet masters. Joe Biden is a puppet. The terminology. Uh, There's more coming up here. You can join us. This is Free Talk Live, 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. We have time for you if you want to jump on the lines right now. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Free Talk Live. Is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. It's a cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. And it is super easy to spend Dash. It's fast and it's cheap to spend Dash. Whenever you spend cryptocurrency, there's always a network fee that you have to pay on almost all cryptos out there. With Bitcoin, those network fees have been crazy for years. It could cost you over a dollar to send a Bitcoin transaction in many cases these days. And with Dash, it's usually way less than one cent to send a Dash transaction. 
Uh, Dash transactions, by the way, are irreversible. Their network is protected from the dreaded 51% attack by their chain locks technology. There's no need to wait around for a confirmation before considering a Dash transaction complete. So it's great for merchants. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies. It's widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It is easy to get and use Dash. You can start by learning more at Dash.org. Big thanks to the Dash Decentralized Autonomous Organization for sending us 32 Dash per month. To promote Dash on the air, you can visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. That is Dash.org. Unfortunately, we just lost our caller, Mark, who was on the line. He was asking sort of some general questions about they them those as uh, ernest hancock would uh, put it our monday night host here on free talk live from declare your independence those people who are the puppet masters the people who you know are behind joe biden the people who are behind donald trump the people who are behind these international figures that we see on the news the ones that are in the shadows that are benefiting from having the control that they have but they don't want to be on the front they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be known. You know, what is the, uh, who are these people? I don't have an answer to that. I mean, the, the easy answer is the international bankers, quote unquote, right? But who they are, well, I mean, they stay in the shadows for a reason. They don't want to be known. Er- they- Ernie says there's two kinds of people in this world. Mm-hmm. Those who just want to be left alone and those who will not leave you alone. <laughs> who are they, them, and those? Mm-hmm. The people that will not leave you alone. So, yeah. like, you have busybody bureaucrats that feel like they need to report everything to the state. You have, you know, people, you know, voting for more government. I mean, look at San Francisco. Yeah, The sure. voters of San Francisco got what they voted for. A ton of government and a ton of trash in the street. Did you see there was, like, a woman, I think she was, like, totally naked or almost all naked uh, on some road, uh, some highway in San Francisco and just had a pistol and it's just, bam, just randomly just Whoa. taking shots at people. I had this whole video. I watched a video of this on, uh, I don't know, it was That's crazy. on Odyssey or something the other just day. Just totally drugged out? I, I mean, I guess, but mm-hmm. she was like literally just shooting people. Like, I mean, what do you do? I mean, you you, you know, the only way you can disarm her is to run her over, <laughs> you know, and but like that's that's scary, and yeah, you know it's it, and it's turned into a total cesspool, and, and you're seeing this in all of the uh, all of the places in America where they voted for more government and where they've enacted more government are turning into absolute cesspools, cesspools, just horrible places. Yeah. So who's behind this? What are their motivations? Well, I mean, it's it's pretty easy to speculate. These people they get off on power. These are people who are on a power trip. They're probably all very, very wealthy. And they have a lot so, of minions, too. And the minions aren't getting off on power. The minions, Some of them do. Well, some of them do. But a lot of these minions are just, they lack confidence. And they feel like somebody in a position of power needs to be there to take care of them. Mm. There are just a lot of people that believe that, like, even here in New Hampshire, as soon as, you know, we become independent from the united states there's people who wholeheartedly believe that we're going to be attacked yeah we we're heard from be, one you know, of them we earlier. need that protection from the federal government you know big uh, daddy right. even though daddy beats you you still need to have him around right exactly it's ridiculous and so but it's it's psychopaths and you touched on this earlier jay the there are psychopaths they're born that way and you probably cannot change the the psychopath but yep, these just are the like people, the child predators these are the people and of course many of them are in government as well but uh, as we saw with the jeffrey epstein situation just scratching the surface likely on that situation but uh these people get off on control they yep. really enjoy having people obey them 
They love to tell people what to do. And this happens, you can see it on the, the individual level, right? Like we were just talking about these conquered cops who arrested parents during COVID uh, for taking their kids to the playground. That really, It really happened. The parents were found not guilty ultimately, but that didn't stop all of that from happening to them, losing whatever kind of time they had to lose to go to court and to deal with you know, getting processed by the police because these two cops really wanted to arrest them right because those cops could have said if they were actual like peace officers if they were if they were focused on just simply keeping the peace if there's a fight at a bar you show up you separate the people who are fighting you send them home you know whatever if somebody got hurt you might take them to the hospital you know you you solve the problems you you keep the peace these cops weren't there to keep the peace they were there to cause a problem they were there to make to ruin the day of these innocent parents and kids who'd come out to simply go play on a playground. I mean, how insane do you have to be to look at kids playing on a playground and say, I got to do something about this. We need to protect the community. I mean, what what is going through their head? What sort of insane beliefs are going through their head? Is it even something conscious? Is it even like a decision that these people make? Or is it just well, so are they just like automatons? Well, I was called to be here, so I must do my duty. I must enforce this arbitrary edict. Well, we on know these that, that there's police departments that reject people uh, that reject uh, new cadets because their IQ is too high. Right, they think too much. So a lot of these cops are cult members. So if if you start looking at like city police departments that required you know uh, COVID vaccines and you know all this COVID nonsense, so the only people you're going to have left on these police departments are going to be you know the most obedient, the yeah. most obedient, yeah. you know uh, the the yeah the the most obedient uh, cult members. And if you want to, you know, so it's ripe for predators, especially these, you know, so there's a big difference between like a rural New Hampshire police department, like Henniker, for example, which Mm -hmm. didn't impose any, make anyone get vaccines. In fact, when the town of Henniker, we had a couple of wackadoos on the, on, on the board in 2020 that they wanted to do a mask mandate and they wanted to put up signs in in town that you had to wear a mask anywhere in town. (laughs) They wanted to do a mask mandate in town. I went to that board Meeting and I talked out against it. And actually, one of the police officers of the Henniker Police Department, uh, a sergeant, I forget his name, uh, he, he he spoke and said, "Yeah, the uh, Henniker Police does not support this. We we are busy. We don't need to be, you know, taking calls for people not wearing masks. We're not even writing Keen tickets." Police, even Keene Police, even Keene Police did the same thing. I was really surprised with they uh, they basically, even though Keene City Council passed a mask mandate in town, the police basically did absolutely nothing uh, to enforce it and. The uh, Jason Short, who was one of the bad guys in Derek J's victimless crime spree, came out publicly and spoke up against uh, the mask mandate. He was actually uh, demoted because of <laughs> because of speaking publicly, but he spoke out and said, "Yeah, bad laws should be disobeyed." Which was like, "Whoa!" When is a cop ever demoted? Jason Short in but, like, <laughs> but yeah, very rarely. But look at all these horrible very things rarely. police do, and and they're not right. Nothing happens to yeah, him. No, and this got, guy he just got demoted for speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Because he wasn't yeah. going along with the narrative like right. the rest of the cult members are supposed to be going but along But they weren't va- mandating vaccines on the police in Keene, and the police did not enforce the, the mask ordinance. Which So, I mean, good for them for that. Uh, I mean, they, they have all, all kinds of other problems. But these these positions of power... They're ripe for predators. They are. Th- they, this is why we have DCYF all throughout the country is riddled with people who are there finding... Just another guy was just arrested. He was just charged in court in Boston the other day. I... Another sex freak. Uh, another sex freak yeah. who wor- worked for New Hampshire DCYF. Yeah. 
uh, an, an, another, uh, and then there's, uh, you know, social workers that work for New Hampshire. There's husbands of social workers. Sure. They're, you know, they're, they're making child porn. Just look at just all the settlements that have been paid out by DCYF or Child mm-hmm. Protection Services, wherever you are. Uh, just type it in and search, and you will just find right. article and after article. And it's never going to stop until the entire system is abolished. The platform until- has to be taken out from underneath these people. And right. The they literally cannot be reformed. There's no law that can be passed that's going to stop these people from seeking out positions of power. As long as the position of power exists, it will be the lowest of the low, the scum of the the earth that will be attracted to those positions. Now, the lower level positions tend to be lower level people that are attracted, right? But the higher level positions like international banker type people... They also are power freaks. You just don't get to hear about them as often. You don't get to, they don't get caught as often as the, uh, you know, the DCYF agents or whatever, because those guys are the low men on the totem pole. If some of them go down from time to time to try to make the system look like, oh, well, look, we're catching them. We're, we're going after these guys. No, it just keeps happening. The stories keep coming in. It's not like, it's not like it just happened once or twice and there was some sort of crackdown. And then all of a sudden the sickos stopped applying for the jobs. They're yeah. still going in there. They're still doing the same stuff. Yeah, if if you're someone who is a, a, a minor attracted person, uh, which you know the the likes of the you know World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and these guys want to like decriminalize pedophilia and make minor attractive persons like more, you know, less um you know vile or whatever. But if you're you know someone who is into basically you know diddling little kids. Uh, you know, the, the perfect thing to do is to get a job where there's lots of little kids, get a job where you have qualified immunity. Uh, and right. so Catholic and, priest or DCYF or, yeah, or, <laughs> you know, Disney, whatever, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, there's so many pedos that are picked up in Disney and there's so many, um, <clears throat> pedos that are, you know, f- found with these, uh, child protective services. It is the perfect ripe opportunity. Sure. And even like when I was in high school, there was a guy who was, he wasn't like an old dude. He was like in his twenties, but he definitely like had a relationship with like a 17 or 18 year old, uh, high school student. And the teachers association like went hardcore above and beyond to protect this guy because the American educators association is not about you know, providing a good education. It's about making sure that it has members in its union. And how do you keep members in that union? You keep them all employed, you know, at, at their schools. So what they did with this guy is they actually wanted to, the recommendation was to remove him from the high school and to put him in the uh, elementary school, whatever grade was like K through four. They wanted mm-hmm. to make him a phys ed teacher in a K through four. And he was a phys ed t- teacher in the high school. And he was a young, really good looking guy. He was, you know, in his mid to late 20s. And he definitely like I can remember, like, you know, some of the girls I went to school with were all about him because he was like a muscly, good looking guy. And you know, he, you know, they they came on to him and he and he got in trouble because he was messing around with a few of these girls. Right. And they're like, yeah, we'll just put him in, you know, with the uh, K through four because because he's not attracted to those kind. And that's not going to happen. Yeah. And and like the parents were going crazy about it. Like oh, there was how a many parents stuff- refused to pay po- property taxes None. over it. See, that's the Probably only thing. My that's dad ever was the only one. Right. That's that is the. <laughs> The only way this is ever going to change is if there is a way for people to feel safe not paying for these services. Because you know what happens now. If you don't pay for these thugs or these sickos, yeah, because they did it to you. They actually raided your house and stole your house from you in Massachusetts. Uh, If you don't pay the thugs, they come to you and they bring the violence. That's right. They bring the violence to you. That's how this system stays together. If there was some way, and I understand... 
even amongst the libertarian community, you're the only one that's ever done this, right? Like you're yeah. the only one that I know of that's ever made a made a stand on property taxes. The average libertarian, they're not willing to they're not willing to put you anything can't like even that get a jury line. trial in Massachusetts uh, when it comes to a property tax taking thing. And I've talked yeah, to you're some just going to get screwed. I, and I've actually talked to people in uh, New Hampshire who have had their properties taken for property taxes. And they said, yeah, we didn't get a jury trial. We demanded one and there was no dry, jury trial. And he goes, I don't even think there is a process. But in Massachusetts, there is absolutely no process whatsoever to get a jury you trial. You wouldn't win in a anyway because, it, it, because whenever, you're on a, whenever you're on a jury for any kind of tax case, you're, right. you're dealing with a uh, jury full of people who are victims themselves. Yep. And the victim mentality is sort of abuse victim mentality of, well, I've been abused for my whole life. I've had to pay property taxes for my whole life. How come this guy thinks he doesn't have to pay? I don't care what he says the law says. You're going to jail, buddy. Yeah, if I got to pay, you got to pay. Right, so that's the mentality of it. I suspect that was the mentality behind the jurors uh, in the Crypto 6 case where I got found guilty of four counts of tax evasion, even though the IRS agent admitted that she wasn't even sure I owed any uh, any taxes. And they never even sent me a letter uh, about it. It's like it was, seemed like it was an open and shut case, but yet the jury decided, oh, yep, you're guilty anyway. So winning in a tax case is very, very hard to do with, with jurors. So the only way I think you could possibly see this happen, because you don't have enough people who are willing to just do civil disobedience on the question, because right. who wants to lose their home, uh, is to change the damn system. And I think the only way you could change the system beyond just abolishing it entirely, which is obviously not going to be popular at this moment, would be to make taxes voluntary, would be to simply change it so they cannot put a lien on your home, they cannot seize your Well, here's your an property. interesting thing. If you guys want to check out, there's a guy, if you internet search or YouTube search Steve Emerson, uh, property tax. He, he shows up on YouTube in a few different places. Uh, he's on um, a few different things. There's a Telegram chat. Well, I can't remember what the Telegram channel is. But anyways, he talks about how he won a $38 million uh, settlement basically against the uh, city of Tampa, Florida. And what he did was a Freedom of Information Act request to the city of Tampa uh, for the process and procedure they rely on to put a, a tax lien on private, non-commercial property, specifically my home where I live, my my home. How, how, what's the process and pr- procedure? So when they send him the process, so what happens with a lot of places where they do this, they're like, oh, the tax collector or the assessor, whoever it is, just calls up and he's like, or, or gets a hold of the guy and he says, I don't, uh, you know, uh, we're going to take your property off the tax rolls. Uh, you know, we're not going to, we don't want to answer this. And, and even when they do get the answer back of the process and the procedure, the whole tax taking tax lien process and procedure is only about properties that are a business that have a business citizen and have a license, a license attached to the property for a business, like a general store or a liquor store. You're saying, a, hold on. You're, what you're saying is if they were to reveal the process, that's what it would reveal, and yep. that's why they wouldn't reveal it? Yeah, well, it, it, it's actually pretty easy to find it. You should be able to search it about anywhere. And I've read a few of the The one in Massachusetts is pretty clear. The one in Florida is pretty clear uh, that it's um, it's basically only uh, applies to a property with a citus. And the def- definition of a citus is basically a place of a business. So you would have to have a business license. And actually, these guys did a lot of work in Florida, so they found a whole bunch of Florida case law on the um, business citizen and the business license, and that's what requires the um, property tax. But the guy's name is Steve Emerson. He's all over YouTube. 
Uh, some and he reco- won $38 million? That's what he's claiming, you know, as of a couple of years ago, as of 2021. Yep. Uh, for, and they took him off the tax rolls. And he claims that he's got lots of properties taken off the tax rolls in several states now. So, those are huge claims. Those are and huge claims. I'm very curious about how, you know, whether those are true or not. That's that's really interesting. But, uh, yeah, so I mean. I take it you found that after they stole your house in, yep, in Palmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and, and, you know. Uh, but the thing is, is I'm going to go forward with it and I'm going to basically do as soon as I'm done with this, you know, stuff with, uh, city of Concord police, the mm-hmm. same people that went after this Tyler Workman who they put a no trespass order against. But as soon as we're done with that, that's the next thing I'm working on is the, is the right to no request to the town. You're going to ask similar to, questions. Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, what's your process and procedure? How did you convert a tract of land into real estate? Cause you get a, you get a real estate tax bill for real estate. If you look at your deed to your property, the word real estate is not in that deed. It is described as a tract of land with marks and bounds or a parcel of land. It's not real estate. I don't think we estate. get real estate taxes. I think it's called a property tax bill. Uh, mine definitely says real estate really? tax on okay. it. Yep. I'll have to double check that. Uh, let's go to the phones here. We got Rob calling from nearby Vermont here. Rob, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. So uh, one of the things that I would suggest is instead of Calling these agencies, uh, and you know, like the DCYF and Family Court, these people need to have a name. You know, you can go to like the Superior Court in in Keene, New Hampshire, and just do a four year request on everyone that works in there. Mm-hmm, sure. And some of the people that work, like out of the Keene uh, uh, office, are advocate advocates. You know, that work you know, for the Department of Child Welfare and, you know, oversee a lot of this, you know, crap that goes on with like what Jay has and his wife have gone through. Those people have a name. You know, those people's names need to be, you know, broadcasted on, uh, like, on this show. Or, you know, people like, uh, you know, like my friend at Press NH, you know, He's been hammering on the Department of Child Welfare in the state of New Hampshire mm-hmm. because of the things that they do. You know, yeah, I don't think it hurts to uh, to name names. I mean, give the bad guys all the uh, the press that that you can. But the problem comes in when you know, even if you can get rid of one of them, they're going to be replaced by another bad guy. I mean, almost certainly you're going to be replaced gotta by get another rid of the psycho. platform, right? And hey, Rob, right. if you could give the uh, Press NH guy my contact info. Have him get a hold of me. I'd, I'd I'd like to chat with him. He's actually living here in Keene now. Press NH now. Um, oh, he's been coming to our social meetups on Sundays. Uh, he's in the there's a Keene chat on Element, uh, so he's in there as well. Um, he's really a, a a valuable member of the community, and we we need more people like him. We need more more people who are willing to tote a video camera and walk into a government agency just to see what happens. I think it's one of the most uh, effective forms of direct activism that that you can do and there's not enough people like that and uh, joa i think who was doing that kind of work has uh, has gotten burned out uh, as i understand it he's, yep. he's moved up to grafton and that's the place where activists go to disappear so hopefully we'll <laughs> we'll see him again someday but he apparently needs some some time off rob thanks for the call tonight i appreciate hearing from you uh but the first amendment auditors the interesting thing we were talking with uh with actually press nh now whose real name is mark uh, we were talking with him at the social meetup here in Keene, and he makes a living from this. 
Good. You know, and that is great because activism is hard to make a living from. It's usually just a labor of love. It's something you do. Like you were talking about man camp. It yeah, I'd like to quite, make a living at that. <laughs> yeah, it didn't quite cover its costs, unfortunately, this year. But you did have some donations from some people that were willing to, to help yeah, out. Yeah, I'd really lo- I'm going to do actually a man camp curriculum uh, weekly uh, starting in September. Yeah, and that's really cool. And it would be great if you could like do that more often and actually make a living off of it. Maybe someday you could. But like a lot of things in the beginning, you got to kind of take you got to eat a loss in order to start something new, right? And uh, with activism, you may never actually make the thing whatever it is that you do profitable. So it was really nice to hear that the First Amendment uh, activism, the First Amendment auditing activism that he does, is actually paying his bills. So this is something you can do and actually make it work, right? There's plenty of space. In the First Amendment auditor community, there could be somebody living over in Portsmouth. There could be somebody living up in Concord, because apparently there's plenty of corruption there. And just make this your thing that you do, and maybe there's enough support that can... I mean, I can't say for sure, but maybe if you're good at it, uh, you can make this thing work. Now, uh, Jay, you were here last week after the show. You were supposed to be here for like an hour. It went for like three or four hours or something. You were interviewed by... I was pretty tired after that. <laughs> the uh, the Anarchapolco folks brought you on board to give a presentation, and yep. I, it sounded like the interviewer from Australia was really interested in the topic, so she yep. kept talking to you for quite a while. Yep, yep. It went well, huh? It, it went very well. They're very happy about it, uh, so I did my pre-recorded presentation, um, and this is for the uh, anarchapolco.com non-conformist series so if you go to anarchapolco.com you can uh find it on there you can click down on register i think there's a link that we posted you had me post earlier tonight on the free talk live social media over at social.freetalklive.com if you follow the at ftl profile there it also should have ended up on twitter as well at free talk live there's a link right there it's got like your name attached yep. to it so you get an affiliate link of something which yeah definitely it's free to sign up for so i'm not sure if you're gonna make well, money on this the, the there is a way to make money somehow afterwards people can like buy the the you know the recording oh okay but uh so but it is a free to attend and you got to sign cool. up i think there's a uh, several thousand for, uh, I don't know. There's like a lot of. It, it's capped at a certain point. I I, I should know more details about this. But it's coming up though, right? When yeah, is this happening? It's the 11th through the thir- 13th. It's a nonconformist okay. series. So and, next Friday is when it starts. Right. Uh, okay. And there's um there's a bunch of speakers on it. Like 50 uh, people or something, right? There's a lot. I don't Dozens. know about 50, but I think maybe 20 ish. Yeah. Okay. Uh, embrace independence and an unchained life for you and your family. Unearth timeless wisdom, practical skills, and revolutionary education strategies to craft a life of self-sufficiency and holistic learning. Experience true freedom here and now. And you know a thing or two about self-sufficiency. And uh, what are some of the things you, you cover briefly? Uh, the best, the thing I'm really covering is investing in our posterity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, keeping your kids off the devices. Keeping the kids off the devices. Helping the kids be, you know, develop skills. Develop a desire yep. to want to work and have skills. To have this independence. To have pride in what they do. Confidence. Confidence. Yeah. Confidence is the biggest thing because people who have confidence are not going to need government. That's really, you know, the biggest ideal. Uh, so I go into the solutions, and we and that's uh, what they want. This. They want people to be helpless. They right. want people to be afraid, uh, so that they need or they feel like they need the government. Out of time for tonight. Just as somebody's calling in from a jail somewhere, Cascase County Jail. I'll have to find out who that is off the air. Uh, maybe we'll have them call back tomorrow. Uh, or Friday or Saturday night. We'll be live again on our weekend shows. Uh, We'll see you then online in the meantime, freetalklive.com. This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. 
I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact PorcupineRealEstate.com.